0: And this is our Helper saying, don't miss the warm-up sessions before the game of the day. And this summer, don't strike out because your hair is dried out. Use you, Vitalis, with Wonder and V7. The great first grooming discovery that does wonders for your hair. Vitalis. In just a moment, the game will get underway. The Falstaff Brewing Corporation, St. Louis, Omaha, New Orleans, and San Jose, Brewers, a premium quality Falstaff beer, and their distributors everywhere join in bringing you tops and baseball. Mutual's game of the day. game here between the seventh place St. Louis Browns in the American League and the battling third place Chicago White Sox. Six and a half games off the pace being set by the New York Yankees. And the first hitter up here for the St. Louis Browns will be Johnny Grove hitting at 2-5-1. He's a right-handed batter playing center field for the Brownie under Marty Marion. And the good old sidekick along with me this afternoon, Old Potts Gleason. So between the two of us, we'll be trying to visit this one out for you this afternoon from Comiskey Park in Chicago. You'll hear it in just a minute. There's a pitch to the plate. Fastball by Rogerman is swung on. Hit down to the right side of Nellie Fox. The second baseman doubles it up, fires to first base in time, and Gross is out on one pitch ball. Well, that happened pretty quick, Art. Right? If the rest of the ball game's this fast, that's all, brother. Yes, the that has really been great, Al, down this drive, the white stops have been making. Boy, I want you to know that that boy hustles with that uh, second-base block any time. Any time he's in uniform, got a pair of spikes on, he's out there running. Well, here's a guy who can cut that ball for you. For the St. Louis Browns, their left-hand hitting right fielder, Dick Cocus. He stands about uh, three-quarters deep in batter's box, opens the stance down toward first base, and Big Sean Rutherland fires a fastball at him and gets it over for a call strike. This broadcast, authorized under the broadcasting rights, granted by the Chicago White Sox, solely for the entertainment of our listening audience. And any, uh broadcast, rebroadcast, of this ball game, without the express consent of the White Sox, is prohibited. Now the pitch to the plate to Cocos. In it rides low, and the count is one ball and one strike. Dick Cocos batting at 268, he's the second man up for the Browns here, as Rogelman pitches. Cocos swings, there's a high fly ball, hung out into right field. Going back deep for it, right up against the board, sleeping, he cannot get it, it's into the right field stands for a home run. Dick Cocos. A home run, lofted into the right field stands here to put the Browns out in front. One to nothing. Sam Neely went back, leaped high on the boards and couldn't get it. That's the 15th run batted in. Four Cokas. Hit number one, run number one off Saul Roggevin. That ball didn't look as though it was going to fall in there at all. It was sort of lofted high. Vic Cokas comes along and gets the first home run for the Browns in the month of July. That brings his total of four now. That's the 42nd home run the Browns have manufactured to date. Now hitting right-handed is Roy Stevers, batting at 232. Swings on the first pitch and hits it right back to the mound. Brokeman grabs it, fires it over to Payne at first base, and that is the second out here in the top first inning. Well, this ball game has gone boom, boom, boom so far. The left fielder, batting number four in the order, is the right-hand hitter, Don Lenhart. Lenhart's hitting at 284. One to nothing in favor of the St. Louis Browns. Cocos lofting a home run into the right field stand. 352 feet away from home plate. Broglievin kicks, delivers. The fastball fires through at the knees to Don Lenhardt for strike one call. One to nothing in favor of the St. Louis Browns. Last night, the Browns stopped the winning streak of the Chicago White Sox. Beat them four to two. Pitch to the plate is over. Nice curveball for called strike two. Don Lenhart's a big guy. Stands about three-quarters deep to the plate. Straightaway stands to the pitcher. Big Rogerman, who is trying for his fifth win of the year, and right now is one run behind. Rogerman has won four and has lost nine. Big fellow throws a fast curveball, swung on and missed for strike three. And that is all for Lenhart here and the Browns in the top half of the first inning. One big run for St. Louis on one base hit. Coker's fourth home run of the year, lofted into the right field stands with the bases empty. There were no errors, and nobody was left on. So the score at the end of the first half of the first inning, the St. Louis Browns won, and the now coming to bat Chicago White Sox, nothing. For the last half of inning number one, it'll be Clark, the second baseman, followed by Ferris Fain, the first baseman. Minnie Minoso, the left fielder, will be the number three hitter for the White Sox. And if anyone else is needed, And we'll have the number four hitter in the order, Bob Elliott. That's the veteran Bob Elliott, who was with the
1: Browns
0: before being dealt over here to the White Sox just a few days back. Already now on Mutual's game of the day for the last half of the first inning with the... Chicago White Sox, the third place ball club in the American League, six and a half games off the pace, being set for the sliding Yankees. By the way, they're only uh, five games out in front of those Cleveland Indians now. And the Yankees last night lost the ball game. Means now that they've lost eight straight. Milwaukee last night picked up a win in the second game from uh, Cincinnati, and that's why night doubleheader. So they stopped their losing streak at eight. And the Yankees have eight. And they're, uh, they'll be attempting to uh, stop their losing streak in today's play. We'll have the other scores of the other ballgame starting pitchers and so forth for you in just a moment. Art's working on them, and uh, as soon as he has them, well, we'll be ready. Dick Littlefield is going to pitch now to Nelson Fox, left-hand hitting first baseman, batting at 261 for the pale Hose. We'll set the Browns for you defensively in just a moment. Littlefield pitching, delivers, and Fox takes a fastball, fired through for a strike. Behind the plate is Clint Courtney. First base is Roy Sievers. The second baseman for the Browns, Bob Young. The shortstop is Bill Hunter. Our third is Bob Elliott. Curveball to is low and outside. His count is one ball and one strike. Out in left field is Big Don Lenhart for the Browns. The center fielder is Johnny Grove. And in right field, we have Dick Cokin. Plate umpire, Charlie Ferre. Looking down over the shoulder, Clint Courtney. As little field the left hand of pitches. Fox swings on it, drives one into right field. And it's in there for a base hit, going all the way back to the wall. Nelson Fox is on his way to second. Look at that little fellow run pulls in there standing up with a two-backer. Nelson Fox driving one off the wall in right field for a base hit. Oh, he made a pair of bases on that one and coming up hitting left-handed is Ferris Payne. Payne batting at 270. He was last year's American League batting champion. Mark, did you ever see anybody run so fast with little chopping steps as that uh, Fox did just now? He was really turning, wasn't he? Oh, my. He was really picking him up and laying them down. Nelson Park jumps around like a bandy rooster and runs like one. Runs like a scared rabbit. What level catch left-hand batting Ferris plane, high off the face for ball one. Hardly Sue had a fine time down at Fort Worth yesterday. Not uh, to catch ball, Park. And the fastball swung on by Freyne. A line drive hit out into right field. Dick Focus comes up to it, has the range, grabs it, goes in, and there goes Nelson Fox dragging up, going into third sliding. There's is out on the line drive to Dick Focus in right field. Fox dragging up and moving over on the line drive to third. Now we have Monoso. Minosa is the number 10 hitter in the American League percentage-wise. His fighting percentage stands at 307. Hits him right-handed. And with one out, the tying run is on his third base. A one to nothing ball game in favor of the St. Louis Browns, who walked out here in the first inning and took it. Hit a home run. His fourth of the year. End of the right field stands to put the Browns out in front. One to nothing. Littlefield, in danger of losing that one run advantage, gets ready to pitch now to right-hand batting Minnie Minoso. Enfield pulls up, hoping, of course, to get a chance to cut Fox down at the plate. There's a change-up curveball thrown by Littlefield to Minoso off the hands inside for ball one. Littlefield works again. Minoso swings on. There's a bounding ball to second. Young is up with it drives the runner back to third base, fires over the first in time, and Minoso is out. So that brings on Bob Elliott, batting at 261.
1: Number ah.
0: Bob Elliott coming up there, hitting right-handed. Yesterday, yesterday at the Fort Worth Ball Club, we had quite a time at Le Gray Field, along with Dizzy Dean, Gene Kirby, and Carl Jonas. Harris, the president of the Fort Worth Cats Ball Club, is a terrific host. Certainly uh did put it on for us yesterday. We deeply appreciate everything that uh, happened to us in Fort Worth yesterday. Ready for the first pitch now to this right-hand hitter Elliott, and it drive high off the face for ball one. Bob has nobody overly close stand, feet wide spread apart. comes a pitch. Let up curveball over to the knees. And the count on Elliott. There's one ball and one strike. One and one. Littlefield his runner at third. That's a tying run at third. Fox is on there. Doubled. And then when Payne lined out to right, he took third. He's been there ever since. Curveball swung on by Elliott. There's a hard hit ground ball at shortstop. Hudders up with it, fires the first base in time, and Littlefield gets out of the inning. Well, there was a big threat going here in the last half of the first inning, but no score. No runs on this one base hit. One man was left to win. No errors. And the score at the end of one full inning of play. The Browns won. The homestanding Chicago White Sox, nothing. Well, now, fans, we'd like to take time out for a minute between innings to say a very sincere thanks. Thanks your friendly words of appreciation for these broadcasts. But of course, we couldn't bring you this play-by-play without the support of the Falstaff folks. So, if you want to say thanks to them, just ask for Falstaff when it's time for beer. You can't do better. Just like its gold premium label says, it's premium quality beer. The choicest product of the brewer's ice. into the top half of the second inning here at Comiskey Park in Chicago. The sun has been lost for the moment as, once again, an overhanging cloud has come between the sun and the folks here in the ballpark. Talking about the folks in the ballpark, let received receive the wire from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. From George Harry and all the fans down there, uh, the saying that they uh, listened yesterday to the mutual game of the day out of Fort Worth. They listen every day to Mutual's Game of the Day down at Fort Lauderdale, and we're very happy. We said that they're hoping that the Fort Lauderdale Lions stay up on top in the Florida International League for Pepper Martin's sake. Well, old Pepper Martin's quite a boy. He's you got himself quite a manager down there. Very colorful gentleman, and the gentleman he is. We're ready now for the first pitch here of the top half of the second inning. Prince Courtney batting at two fifty-six. I art he's hit safely in how many ball games now? Uh, I think he's 8 for 12. He's getting over, he's raised his average 50 points in this road trip, Al. How about that, huh? Little left-hand hitter goes after the first pitch and up the foul off the handle of the bat for strike one. Carl Rogerman pitching here for the White Sox this afternoon. Down comes the next pitch. over. That's called strike two. No ball, two strikes. We're in the first half of inning number two to be followed by Dyke and then by Young, one to nothing in favor of St. Louis Brown. Ruggman ready, delivers a fastball right off Courtney's kneecap. That's ball one. One ball and two strikes. We were speaking a moment ago about the Florida International League. Just before I left the hotel, phone rang and on the other end of it was a guy by the name of Ben Chapman. I know you remember Ben. Quite a figure in Major League Baseball. There's a curveball to Courtney High. Counted two and two. And just as soon as we find out what happens with Courtney, I want to tell you what Ben Chapman, the manager of the Campus Smokers of the Florida International League, told me on the phone. I really think it's something. I'd like to pass it along to you fans. Now for the 2-2 pitch. Rogovan takes his time from Red Wilson. His battery mate. Here's the 2-2 delivery. Rogovan fastball is swung on by Courtney, dragged down to the right side. Chain, deep behind, first up with it. fires to Rogovan covering. And Courtney is out. So we have one away here in the top of the second inning. Well, Ben Chapman said on the phone to me, just about an hour and a half ago, he said, Al, we think something's happened down here that you'd like to know about. I said, what's that, Ben? He said, a group of businessmen and civic leaders in the city of Tampa have purchased, they've bought the franchise of the Tampa Smokers, and they've turned it into a non-profit organization all the profits, all the monies that will be made by the smokers from here on out will go to all charitable organizations such as the Boys Club and the Institution for the Blind and things of that sort. And I don't think this has ever been done in baseball before. I think they're setting the pace for things of this nature down at uh, Tampa, Florida. I uh, would like to send our congratulations along at least for the experiment. It will be tried by some civic-minded men and businessmen down in the city of Tampa. By the way, tomorrow at the, uh, Floridan Hotel, they're gonna have a meeting at 7.30 o'clock, and we sincerely hope that you folks down around Tampa, who are interested in this venture, will get over to the meeting, because the doors will be thrown open, and you'll be able to come in. Now hitting right-handed will be Jimmy Dyke, batting at 2.04. The first pitch to Jimmy Dyke of the Browns here is a fastball low for ball one. Rides the next pitch over. The count is one ball and one strike. Jimmy Dyke up uh, for his first at bat of the day. We're in the second inning, one out, nobody on. The Browns are bat and leading in the ball game, one to nothing. Well, starts that gangly pumping motion of his, kicks high, delivers a curve ball, swung on, hit down sharply the shortstop. Up with it is Mark. The throw to Ferris Payne at first base by a stride, and that's all for Dyke. In case you're wondering what happened with Pico Cascal, he's not in the lineup this afternoon for the White Sox. Pico's riding the bench with a bad leg, his ankle, which was hit uh, rather severely, so he's not in the lineup. So Freddie Marsh is playing for him. Now Bob Young, the second baseman of the Browns, comes up there. He's batting at 264, hitting left-handed. That's where I'm very interested. i to find out how uh, they're going to make out with those smokers, turning it into a non-profit organization and strictly for charity. And he cuts a magnificent move on the part of the Tampa Ball Club and the Florida International League. Now ready for the first pitch here to Bob Young. Rogerman cuts it loose. It's high across the bridge of the nose for ball one. Nobody on. Stop half the second inning. Score one to nothing in favor of the Browns. Rutherford works. The fastball swung on. Hit out of the right center field. There's a pretty well-tagged ball that might be in there. It is up against the right center field wall. On his way to second base is Young That holds up there with a stand-up two-bagger. He really smacked that one for two bases. In the right center field, right up against the wall. That has to be hit about 400 feet from home plate. So there is hit number two off Rogerman. And the batter coming up is Bill Hunter, the shortstop. Hunter is batting at 261. Well, I've got to say this. All right, that both of these hits that have come off Saul Rogerman have really been tagged. Well, yeah, that wind's helping them a little bit too out there, Al. Yeah, that's for sure, right? Let's see. We're gonna watch this guy intentionally. They're not gonna monkey around with Hunter. They're gonna walk and get the little field. Well, so there's ball one way outside. The order has been put out. with the man on. While they're putting him on, we might run over uh, the results of last night's Major League scores in case your paper didn't get a chance to carry them. Some of the games were pretty late. Yesterday in the National League, Chicago defeated St. Louis 10-3. to And since the with Milwaukee, they won the first game 6-3 to from the Braves. The second game was 1-6-4 favor of Milwaukee second game was 10 innings too. Pittsburgh Pirates defeated New- the New York Giants last night three to one and in 10 innings it was Philadelphia defeating Brooklyn 10 to nine. Over in the American League, St. Louis as we told you defeated Chicago 4 to two. Boston took New York five to four and Cleveland beat Detroit 6 to four in a ball game that was called at the end of the fifth inning because of rain. Washington and Porterfield shut off the Philadelphia Athletics last night, 3 to nothing, with Porterfield hitting a home run. So that brings us up to date with everything, and as far as the ball scores are concerned, well, as soon as we get an opportunity, now Art will have some score for us, so we'll cut him loose. Well, Hunter is on, having been walked, intentionally, and Dick Littlefield hitting left-handed is up there. Saul Ruggerman fires a curve ball at him, but just under the knees for ball one. Well, Ruggerman is charged with one base on balls. however it was ordered. Two down, two on here in the top of the second inning. Browns leading one to nothing. Ruggerman works. Fast ball fired in off the pitch, right up against the body. Two balls, no strike. That's the count on left-hand batting Dick Littlefield. Marty Marion... The manager of the St. Louis Browns is running his ball club from the coach's box behind third. And see right now putting on all the signs. Uh, looking around, checking him. Now here's Rugerman checking his runners. Delivers through and over to play. The fastball swung on and hit back through the middle for a base hit. Middlefield singles into right center field. Here comes the runner around third on into score. Middlefield comes through with a spike line drive into right center field to get himself an RBI. Oh, goodness, even the pitchers are raring up here this afternoon. That's run number two off Ruggerman. Bill Young came tearing around third and right on in to score on that one. Running right behind him, Bill Hunter, legs all the way into third base. And the batter coming up there now is Johnny Gross, the leadoff man. Two to nothing in favor of the St. Louis Browns. Talking with Bill Beck just before the uh, ball game started. He was down in the press room. Said he uh, just wanted to travel along with the ball club and see that everybody was out there going. You uh, can see them out there going this afternoon. These Browns are determined. They've won 27 ball games. They're trying to pick up their 28 this afternoon. The been pitching to Johnny Grove, whom he got on the ground ball in the first inning to second base, delivers him a curve ball inside off the chest for ball one. Rogervin in trouble here. Runners at first and third. One run is scored. Brown's leading two nothing. Rogervin takes his time from Wilson. We have some activity now down in the bullpen for the Chicago White Sox. It looks like Dory warming up. They're out behind the. The field fence in the bullpen. It's pretty hard to see them from here. The, pitch to the plate is over but low, and the count is two balls and no strikes on Johnny Grove. Also, Sandy Consolidra throwing in the bullpen for the White Sox. So Paul Riches will have a couple of guys on tap, if Rogerman should uh, falter here anymore. Runners of first and third. The pitch is made and taken over the outside corner, just placed high for a call strike. So Johnny Grove now has moved count to count two balls and one strike. We're in the first half of the second inning, two outs. One run has been scored. There are still two men on for the Browns. Second base is open. First is occupied by Dick Littlefield, the pitcher who slammed in the run with a line drive single in the right center field. At third is Bill Hunter. There's a sidearm delivery that's over nicely on the outside slice at the knees for called strike two. So the count on growth now is two balls and two strikes. Grove calling for time as Charlie Ferry allows it. Grove dries his hands and steps back in. It's hot here in Chicago this afternoon at a temperature hovering near the 100 degree mark. Wind blowing in from behind center field is just enough to keep the church dry, and that's about all. But it's warm. Everyone sitting around enjoying the sunshine. Runners the first and third taking lead. In comes the pitch, it's swung on by Grove. There's a high pop up going out into the short right center field. Nelson Fox, the second baseman, under it. Little fella's got it. There's out number three. So that's all here in the first half of the second inning, in which the Browns come up with one run on two base hits. There were no errors, and two men were left off. So, the score at the end of one and a half innings of play, mutual game of the day from Comiskey Park in Chicago. It's the Browns, two, and the homestanding Chicago White Sox nothing. Four did you ever wonder what the players say
1: When they gather round the mound Now from all we've heard on the player's word It's got a real familiar sound it's All about Paltzap beer The right beer, yes, the re-paltzap beer Is premium quality For
0: the sound of the brewer's heart So sing up a ball stand. Sing out for Falstaff. Sing out for Falstaff Well, we're moving into the last half of the second inning, and before uh, we get started here, we have a minute or two time, so uh, let's get old Pop Sweetson in here with some of the scores. All right, how about you, buddy? Right, Al, in the American League, at the end of two innings, it's scoreless up at Fenway Park in Boston for the Yankees. Johnny Sain is pitching, and for Boston, Mel Parnell. Cleveland is playing at Detroit, not yet started, and Washington and Philadelphia are playing a night game. At the end of five innings, at Polo Grounds, New York. The Giants 3, Pittsburgh 1, Magley going for the Giants, Lindell for Pittsburgh. Milwaukee and Cincinnati not yet started. Philadelphia, Brooklyn and Chicago, St. Louis both night games. Now, Al. All right, ready to go here with Rivera coming up to the plate. The left-hand hitter, swings on the first pitch, hits the line, drive into right, field. focus up to it. And drives to drop it, he can't get it, he gets by, him. Rivera still running, dives into third base and he's there, at third base. down will as a three-base hit. A three-base hit. The official score just comes up with it. A three-base hit for Jim Rivera. pounded by Dick Cocus in right field. And you should have seen that Rivera diving into third. He lost no time whatsoever. And for the White Sox, that's their second hit in the ball game off Dick Littlefield. And uh, now the potential first run for the White Sox is on at third base, and Sam Mealy batting at 279 comes up there. Mealy has 34 runs batted in, has his opportunity of picking up his 35th right here and now. The infield on the left side, Bob, a bobbed up, and they're playing shuttle, despite the fact that this hitter up there is a right-handed batsman. That is the sixth triple for Jim Rivera this year. He really pounded that one right by Dick Kocus, who came in fast and tried to trap a low-line drive, and it got by him. Bunched right over his shoulder, right out to the wall, right field. Jim Rivera kept right on traveling. Now the first pitch to the plate is... Over for a called strike to Sam Neely. Travis Neely watches a curve whistle by high and outside for ball one. One ball and one strike. Downrides the next pitch. Littlefield's curve ball is swung on and missed for strike two. One ball, two strikes. We'll stand around the left of Mealy, playing in deep. Sam will hit that long ball for you. Now we're all set. Littlefield, pump. The left-hander throws the fastball. It's over at the knees for called strike three, and Sam Mealy knew it. Well, there's the first out here in the second inning. That's the first strikeout for Littlefield. Littlefield. Red Wilson is coming up there now. Red Wilson's batting percentage is 272. He has the opportunity of getting the run in from third. The first White Sox run. The score stands 2 0 now in favor of the Browns. Wilson looks around to uh, get a sign sometime Always that. Littlefield delivers a slow curveball. Wilson after punches it the right field. Coming up to it as Dick Coker grabs that ball. There's a tack up at third. Rivera's coming in. And he makes it sliding. Score the run. So, Red Wilson will get his fifth run batted in. Now, two to one ball game in favor of the St. Louis
1: Browns.
0: The is Freddie Marsh hitting at two twenty-two. the shortstop for the White Sox this afternoon. 2-1 in favor of the Browns. As Marsh steps up there, hitting right-handed. Freddie Marsh was with the Browns, you recall? He stands away from the plate and steps into the pitches. Steps into this one, swings on it, there's a high fly ball, hung into deep left field. John Lenhart goes back to wins got the ball, but Lenhart stays with it and makes the catch for out number three. Well, so that's all here for the White Sox, but they get into the run column on one base hit, one run, one base hit, no errors and nobody left on. So the score at the end of two full innings of play, the St. Louis Browns two and the Chicago White Sox have won say, neighbor, here's the simplest recipe for real deep-down pleasure you ever heard. Just take a cold, frosty bottle or can of premium-quality Falstaff in your hand. And slowly pour that clear golden beer into a glass. And let it rise and cap itself with creamy white foam. And finally, taste Falstaff's remarkably smooth, true beer flavor. As easy as that, you've got a perfect glass of beer every time. So be sure to take home a handy pack of six bottles or cans of Falstaff. Nationally famous for premium quality. Now we're moving along to the top half of the third inning here on Mutual's Game of the Day from Comiskey Park in Chicago. Esther our good friends, Dizzy Dean and Gene Kirby, both getting a well-deserved rest today. So, um... Oh, Pops and I sitting right here at Comiskey Park in Chicago beating our gums together and talking about this one. But right, you're sort of a sight-fasorized, but he haven't seen you for quite some time. Still here, Al. Eh? Yeah, I see you are, boy. You're always uh, welcome on this microphone, too, and that you know. Still getting and sassy, sassy. Yeah, I don't know about that sassy. You know, you're about the same as you did in 1950, but you're sassy. You're twice as <laughs> sassy as you used to be. Where did he go here now in the third inning? that up is Dick Koka is hitting left handed. Ready for the first pitch now by Rogovan Here to Choms with a slow curveball and Koka swings and doesn't Did he go for that one? He certainly was looking at that right field wall again. Strike one to count on Dick Koka. Rogobin's curve curveball is over and good for a called strike. No balls and two strikes. to stand around the right and playing deep for Kokos, He can poke him. Now the O2 delivery by Saul Rogovic. In it rides, fastball, way inside, now almost got Kokos Right on the short route, he just drives out to the right to keep him in front for that one. Cocus is not a little guy, he's a pretty plump, rotund fellow himself. All right, stepping back up to the plate stands about only 5'8 and weighs about 180 pounds, so you have uh, an idea about how round this fellow is. One ball, two strike count on him. Brokerman's fast pitch is swung on. There's a line drive hit into right field. Sam Mealy is over to the right, under it, and makes the catch to the line drive for out number one. Runner to right field. Roy Beavers, who tapped weakly back to the mound in the first inning, becomes the batsman now for St. Louis. Seavers at game time was hitting at 232. Pretty good size guy, hits him right handed. But as soon as uh, we find out what happened here with Roy Severs, we'll be pausing for station identification, so stand by, fellas. First pitch is swung on. There's a high fly ball, hits deep in the center field. Way back goes Rivera, still going back. Under it now and makes the catch. We have two out here in the top of the third inning, and before Lenhart comes up there, let's pause 10 seconds for station identification. Most of the mutual broadcasting system. All right, now we're ready to go with Don Lenhart, hitting right handed. Struck out in the first inning to retire the side. Yes, you got tuned in with it. It's a two-to-one ball game in favor of the Browns over the Chicago White Sox. Two down, nobody on top of the third. Groverman pitching to Don Lenhart. He does. Lenhart swings and doesn't get it. That's like one. Groverman coming in there fast with a curve ball off the hand. Big right hand hitter. Gets a little farther back from the plate now. Randy spikes in good. And then turns around and says to Charlie Berry, will you take a look at that ball, buddy? So, Charlie Berry, the plate umpire, asks Swagelman to give it up. He looks at it, fires it right back out to the mound, says to Lenhart, it's all right. Now, ready. Delivers. Over the glow and the count is one ball and one strike. Swagelman's ready again. Wasting no time on this pitch. fires away, low, under the knees, four ball two. Two balls and one strike. First half, of the third inning. He's all squared away and ready. He'll be pouring fourth, fifth, and sixth in the fourth, fifth, and sixth. That ball swung on. He's right back past the mound, right out into center field for a base hit. Down, Len Hart singles right up the backbone of the diamond. We hit number four off Rokerman. Two outs, one on here in the top of the third, and Clint Courtney becomes the batsman. The little Bulldogs who does the catching for the Browns. Second inning, spiked the ball well, but hit a grounder where Ferris Spain could handle it deep behind first base, and Rokerman covered in time to take the toss for the put-out. Now we have two outs and one on here in the top of the third inning. The Boston won a New York nothing. At the end of one inning in the American League, one to nothing, the Red dropped over the Yankees. First pitch to Clint Courtney is inside for ball one. At the end of three innings, one to nothing, Boston over New York. I think I said at the end of one, didn't I, right? That's right. End of three, though, huh? End of three, one to nothing, in favor of Boston over the Yankees. Next pitch to Clint Courtney is a fastball low. Down on the little fella is two balls and no strike. Rogerlin gets ready, looks over at Ferris Payne at first base, checks his runner. Don Lenhart with two away, delivers. Courtney swings, there's a well-hit ball into right field. Sam Maley scoops off to his left under it and makes a catch for out number three. Ball and Sam Neely had it played just right. No runs. One base hit here in the third inning for the Browns. There were no errors for the White Sox. One Brownie left on. That means they've stranded three. Now I'm going to bat three times. And the score at the end of the first half of the third inning the Browns two, the Chicago White Sox one. last half of inning number three, we're going to have Saul Roosevelt, who is a pretty fair hitting pitcher, to we'll be followed by the leadoff, Batchman, Nelson Fox, and then Ferris-Fain. Courtney, will make the last out here in the third inning, back putting on the protector, getting ready. Get set for the last half of inning number three. Courtney has the tools on, has gotten back up there. Dick Littlefield, throwing a few warm up pitches down. And we're moving into the last half of this third inning with Rogerman, Fox, and Fane in that order for the White Sox. Well, the sun's come out again, and it means it'll get even hotter here in Chicago now. The only redeeming feature of this entire city is that it's windy. Hot summer day, usually get uh, quite a wind in off the lake, and we've been getting it so far today. And that's the only thing that's uh, kept the town, and particularly the first section here at Tomisky Park. It's feeling like a bake oven. But we'll run into these good hot days. By like George, we like it better than that snow that covers the fields and the ground during the wintertime. Now, heading right-handed, Saul Roggevin. Littlefield's first offering is a curve through their first strike. Comes right back with a fastball and misses with it low inside across the shins to Rogelvin. Salls count, one ball, one strike. Last half, inning number three. Mutual game of the day from Comiskey Park in Chicago. Littlefield's fastball is into the dirt. Courtney can't hold it. Two balls, one strike to Colin Rogelvin. Come on, all the mutual crew. We'll be moving into Ebbets Field. Tomorrow, I'll be taking a a little time off. Diz and Gene will be with you tomorrow from Ebbets Field. Lisa, I guess you and I better go swimming, buddy. Boy, that piece would be nice, huh? (laughs) I could use it today. Littlefield gets ready, kicks high, throws way outside for ball three. So the count three balls and one strike on Saul Rogovin, opening the last half of the third inning here for the White Sox at Comiskey Park, and they're behind as the Browns lead them two to one. We've had one home run in the game so far. Dick Coke has struck a home run in the first inning with the bases empty. This is the play to outside and low for ball four. Well, so this is the guy that Littlefield didn't want to lose, and he lost him. First base on balls given up by the St. Louis left-hander. Nelson Fox is to start the second batting round for Chicago. Daly came up in the first inning, lined one down the right field line, up against the wall for two bases. So he has one hit and one try. Little fella choking up on the wood stands in batter's box deep, or the hugs up tight against the plate the meat end of the bat down on the rubber home plate, and waits for Littlefield to fire away. In comes that pitch, and Fox takes it high for ball one, right off the shoulder. Bob Elliott. Just come selected a bat. That's sort of an optimistic move. There's a curveball thrown to Fox over for called strikes. Count is one ball and one strike. Elliot's behind Payne and Minoso, but still he came out and selected a bat. Guess they must be figuring on doing a little that go-go glue- stuff they've been talking about around Chicago here. Pitch the plate to Fox is over but high. His count has moved now to two and one. Two balls, one strike. on Nellie Fox. Nobody out, one on here in the bottom of the third. So the time run for the White Sox is on. In Saul Rogobin, who was walked. Down comes the pitch. Fox runs up on it, and bluffs the bunt, takes the pitch and the south side for ball three. Three and one. Courtney bluffs the throw down to first, and Saul Rogerman came hustling back in there. Saul's a the big guy that takes him a little time to move. Three and one. They're still a danger of a bunch, though, at third base. Jimmy Dyke is playing up pretty close. Now the three-one pitch. Fastball is thrown all the way behind the head of Nelson Fox. Well, ball four. That ball almost got away from Prince Forty. So, two walks have jumped up here in the last half of the third inning. Rogerman goes on down to second now as Nelson Fox moves over takes his station first. That's second base on balls given up by Littlefield and both of them here in the last half of the third inning. So the tying run has been moved to second base on that walk, and the lead run has been placed first. And hitting left-handed is Ferris Fain, who hit a ball well in the first inning, but lined where Dick Kokes could get his hands on it. The infield on the left side has pulled up a couple of steps. The outfield fanned around slightly to right, not playing too deep, with the exception of right fielder Dick Cocus. He's back. And the first pitch to play the swung arm but Fain has as the line drives down the right field line, and it is just by a couple of feet. That ball was hit right into the corner. Bain leaned into an inside fastball. Littlefield apparently was trying to break it off Sarah Bain's hand. See down in the bullpen for the St. Louis Browns, got a left hander up there going, little Max Lanier. So Littlefield has trouble brewing here in the last half of the third inning. It's all the go making. He's walked two men and has runners the first and second with nobody out the last of the third. There's uh-huh. Fane up there trying to collect his first base hit of the afternoon. He's 0 for 1. Backing a couple of feet, he had it too. Spikes right into the corner. Kokus didn't have a chance of getting over to get it. Littlefield taking plenty of time here. He's brow with a handkerchief. Looks around, checks his infield and outfield, finds his infield playing up pretty close. Particularly first baseman Roy Severs is up ahead of Nelson Fox on the first baseline. Second base combination playing deep. They're playing up close at first and third. Pitch plate is swung on by Fane. Here comes a foul ball back right under our microphone. Go to count on Fain now. There's no balls, two no strikes. Last half of the third inning, two base runners on, nobody out. Two to one in favor of the Browns. The White Sox are threatening now. Max the Air throws even harder down the St. Louis bullpen. As Littlefield gets ready. Down comes the pitch. Fastball ball swung on and hit fouled off to of the left of the plate, up into the second tier, out of play. What you got there, out of score, buddy? Yeah, the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, Al, just tied the Giants at the end of the sixth inning, three and three. Boston one, and the Yankees nothing at the end of four. or well, those uh, New York Yankees have really been slipping and sliding around, all right? What's that eight straight, have they? have lost eight straight, and they uh, seem to be on their way to lose their ninth straight. Yeah, against Mel Parnell, he's a tough customer. Well, I can just see old Casey squirming and fishing, and he can squirm and fidget. He's a master at it. Now the O2 pitch. There, Spain stands and grips the handle of that bat, chokes up on it. Redway stands in pitcher. Carl Rogerman steps off at second. Nellie Fox steps away from first. And time is called as Littlefield is taking too much time, and Ferris Bane backs away. Overhead, a hit. hands off. Now moves back in, gets a good solid grip on that bat. Littlefield's ready. Throws him a curveball. It stays upstairs right under the chin. One ball and two strikes you count on Ferris Fane You can probably hear the wind whipping into our microphones here to uh, blow up pretty heavy. Coming right from behind home plate to straight away center field. That's going to help those fly balls get out the center field sector. Big little field pump. Delivers. High for ball two. Two balls and two strikes. The tempo of this ball game will probably slow down considerably as the afternoon wears on because it's hot out in that diamond. say that these guys were perspiring profusely? would be an understatement. And they're drenched already. And the 2-2 pitch here on. Ferris Spain. Two on. Nobody down. Last half of the third inning. Down comes the pitch. There goes the runners. The ball is swung on and lined to the shortstop who bubbles the ball. Picked up throws to second base for a force out on Nelson Fox who had to hold up on that play. The throw on the first base was not in time. And Rogovan moved on into third. Well, that was take quite a chance. There's Fain line to the shortstop. Hunter, who bobbled the ball and dropped his net to pick up and throw for the force out at second. Fain is on at first. Fox forced out at second base on the play. From the shortstop to the second baseman, Bob Young covering. And on the force side, Rogerman moves over to third. Well, that was more of good luck than good management. Miniman up now. There'll be no error on that. They've got the one in the middle. Minnie Minoso, 0-1 this afternoon. 307 hitter at game time. First pitch to him is low for ball one. Infield playing their usual positions as Minoso swings and drills one into center field for a base hit. Rogerman comes in. There goes Minoso on his way to second. of ball still rolling back to the wall. Coming on around as Ferris Bay. He's going to try to score. It's a stand-up three-backer for Minnie Minoso. Puts the White Sox ahead here in the last half of the third inning by a 3 2 score as he drives in two. That gives him 41 runs batted in this year. And off Littlefield, hit number three, runs two and three. So the complexion of this one has changed almost in the twinkling of an eye. And Marty Marion comes out and says, Bring me on Max Lanier. So that's going to be all for Littlefield as Max Lanier will relieve him right now. L-A-N-I-E-R, Max Moneer, formerly with the St. Louis Cardinals, the New York Giants, and waved out of the league and now over here with the St. Louis Browns. So Max Maneer will come on to pitch here to Bob Elliott, the third baseman. In the last half, of the third inning. So the Chicago White Sox stayed with it and have moved back into the lead in this ball game. I should have said, moved into the lead in this ballgame. They have never had it it's the first time they've had the opportunity of saying we're ahead of the Browns. And Max Munir comes on. As far as Max Munir is concerned, we'll see what his record uh, is. We'll look that up for you in just a moment. Let's see. Uh, two and one third innings has been pitched by Rogerman. Check me on this, Two and a third innings, he's given up. Um, oh, I don't mean Rogerman. I mean Littlefield. Two and a third innings, he's given up three runs, three hits. Pass two and struck out one. That's right, Al. I almost had Rogovan out of that ball game, man. He'd come up here with a ball bat and be getting me, wouldn't he? Sir, he's got the lead now. He wants to keep it. He's uh, going after his fifth win here this afternoon. He's won four and lost nine. So Max Lanier comes on. He'll pitch to Bob Elliott with Minimanoso at third base and one out. Well, as I said, Art's complexion has changed, old buddy. Yes, sir, Al. I think that wind's changed a little bit too. I can uh, get a slight whip of the stockyards. What do you mean a slight whip of the stockyards, brother? That's a full blast. <laughs> you must be doing business over there. I got news for you. It's a bumper crop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This Chicago is a great town, Art. Huh? The more you're in it, the, uh, the more you know about it. One way or another, I'm telling you, you've been in Chicago here all summer long, and the biggest end of it. Too long. <laughs> if the Chicago Chamber of Commerce is listening, we're only
1: kidding.
0: <laughs> Back to Lanier, the little left-hander has come out here for the St. Louis Browns in the last half of the third inning, which the White Sox have wrested the lead from the St. Louis Browns and are now up on top 3-2. To and they're drinking with their fourth run at uh, third base right now. So Lanier is on. There's throwing the last of his warm-up pitches now. And he's ready to face Bob Elliott, who grounded out in the first inning for Dick Littlefield. This Dick Littlefield won two ball games over the Chicago White Sox and hasn't lost one. But both of the two wins he has over the White Sox. Both of those games he didn't finish either one. So they got him out of here now. He stands to lose this one his infield now is pulled up tight, Minoso at third, one out here in the last half of the third, and Bob Elliott standing in. Lanier offers him a soft, easy curve ball that is under the knees for ball one. Minoso is hammered in two runs to run his total for the year to 41. Wilson has the other run batted in. Max Lanier, Chucky left hander looks down at Bob Elliott, his former teammate. Former teammate on the Giants, former teammate on the Browns. Throws him curve ball, and Bob takes it. It's over for a call strike. One ball, one strike. Browns on the White Sox. Right here at Comiskey Park this afternoon on Mutual's game of the day. Now we're set to the next pitch from Mullinear. Here it comes, fastball, swung on and hit down a deep shortstop. Up with it is Hunter, fires to first base, and Eddie is out as the run comes in to score. So Eddie is out of there. I think, unless my um, old eyes deceive me, that uh, third baseman Jim Dyke had the tip end of his glove on that. Drive deep short stop. He dived out there, so we're gonna have to say it's a five to six to three put out, I think. But put out it was yeah, so we just had verification on the public address system here in the first section. Revere so out there now. Swings on the first pitch, and there's a line drive hit past Johnny to the center field. Look at the Viraco, so he's on his way to second. The left to second, he's moving over to third base now. It's a stand up three bagger for Jim Rivera. Well, that hit will come off by Max Manier. Four to two, in favor of the Chicago White right Sox. Rivera just liked that ball and liked it well. Play nice time, maybe. I want to get out there. We are going to go out there and pick up a few of those bricks or stones, Art, to wake these papers down. I tell you, it's really blowing up a gale here, isn't it? <laughs> I'd rather have had what those Texas longhorns here for Vinyl. <laughs> Man, I tell you, it really blows down there in Texas, too. You should have been down there yesterday, Arthur. Was. It was really great. Just enough wind to keep it cool enough to be pleasant. Nice bright, brilliant sunshine. And when that Cowtown posse came out at that ballpark, look out, boy, that big star of Texas flag. You should have seen old Diz right in the saddle there. He's hooping it up with a vigilante. <laughs> I think we had all the humidity up here in Chicago. <laughs> well, you might have had all the humidity up here in Chicago, but not not quite all of it. It was a little bit warm. Now it's Rivera on third base, and over at first. The first baseman Roy Stevens has called for the ball and goes over and steps on first base and appeals to the first base umpire Stevens that Rivera did not touch going by first base, and it's going to be allowed. It's going to be allowed. The appeal play is going to be allowed. It took them a long time to do it, but they just as minute did it. Well, there's one for you. So that'll be out three on an appeal play. I don't think I've seen an appeal play uh, executed that long after uh, the ball had been stopped. An appeal play. Jim Revere did not touch first base. And the umpire, Stevens, allows the appeal. So that's all here in the third inning. So three runs come in here for the Chicago White Sox. On two base hits. There were no errors. And nobody was left on. All so those things, I guess, you got to watch out for pretty closely. Well, before we get into the fourth inning, we'd like once again to remind all of our good friends around the country that baseball at its best is being played this year in the minor league. So uh, we sincerely hope that you're getting out to see um, every uh, ball game you possibly can. Well, right here at the end of three innings of play, the score stands the White Sox four, and the St. Louis Browns two. Well, isn't it good to be able to relax occasionally with no cares, no hurry, nothing to do but sit back and listen to the ball game? Well, that's just one more detail to complete that picture of solid entertainment and contentment. What is it? Why, a cold bottle or can of Ballstaff premium quality beer. Always keep it handy in the icebox, and then when you take it easy... It's true, beer refreshment you want. It's yours, just by filling your glass with frosty, cold Baltast beer. Nationally famous for premium quality. Now we're ready for the fourth inning, with Jimmy Dyke coming up to the plate as the first batsman in the fourth inning. So uh, let's turn uh, pump, squeeze, and loose on four, five, and six. You all ready, pump? Right, Al. Jimmy Dyke bats him right at it, he's been up once, bounced up to the shortstop, brought up ready, delivers his first pitch, and there's a pop-up going out to short center field, going back under it, getting under it is Nellie Fox, and that's it for the out. So here in the top of the fourth inning, with the Chicago White Sox leading the St. Louis Browns 4-2, Jimmy Dyke hits the first ball pitch for a pop-up to Nellie Fox. And it brings up the left-handed batting Bob Young, who's batting at 264, double to center field and scores. The pitch to Young is up high for ball one. was out. Time was back in Bob Young bats the left-handed, takes up high for ball one. The announcement just came from the official score that time had been called, and the appeal play could not be made until time had been called back in. A called strike on Bobby Young as the third ball by Rogerman picks up the inside corner and the count goes to one and one. They could not make the play at first until time had been uh, put back in by the umpire and that was the cause of the delay on the appeal play. A letter pitches up high for ball two. Two and one. The Brownies batting. Top of the fourth inning as they trail the White Sox by two runs. It's Chicago 4, St. Louis 2, One away here in the top of the fourth, and the count, two balls, one strike on Bobby Young. Rogovan delivers, a fastball is high for ball three. Three and one, the count on Bobby Young. In case you joined us a little bit late, defensively, the White Sox have Minnie in left, Jim Rivera in center, and Sam Mealy in right. The big right-hander, saw Rogovan, delivers, and it's low outside for ball four. And Bob Young gets the base on ball. That's the second walk given up by Rogelman. He walked uh, under intentionally back in the second inning. You're in for the White Sox. Bob Elliott at third. It's Freddie Marsh playing in the absence of the injured Carousel at shortstop. The hustling Nellie Fox at second. The battling Ferris Saint at first. Red Wilson behind the plate. And the big six foot two. Right-hander, weighing 205 pounds, Saul Roggeman on the mound. And he's getting ready to pitch now to Bill Hunter. Under bats him right-handed, swings and sends a looping fly ball up toward right field. There's Nellie Fox back on the edge of the grass. Sam Mealy comes in, and Mealy makes the catch. So Bill Hunter lifts the soft top five. Short right field taken by Sam Mealy. And there are two men out here in the top of the fourth inning. And it brings to bat now Max Lanier, who went in to replace Dick Littlefield. And Max Lanier, although he pitches left-handed, bats him from the right side. Lanier standing deep in the batter's box, well up toward the plate, up on the handle of the bat, a couple of inches we have a runner on here in the top of the fourth with two men out The pitch to Lanier the curve that breaks outside ball one there's any question about that. Rivera, Rivera of course lost a hit on the appeal play as he was out of first base had the appeal been made at second of course he would have got credit for a single but a swing and a miss by Max Lanier and the count is even at 1-1 Jim Rivera is playing Lanier straight away, and the infield is set up straight away for Lanier. Now off of an his stretch, Texas runner delivers to Lanier, oh, call strike over the outside corner, and it's one ball, two strikes. Charlie Berry calling the ball from strike, Johnny Stevens at first, Jim Duffy calling the plays at second, and the veteran Bill Summers over third. The score in favor of Chicago. The pitch is swung on and fouled off the end of the bat, and the count remains one and two. In case you join us a little bit late, at the end of the first inning, the Cleveland Indians lead Detroit two to nothing. At the end of five innings, Boston leads the Yankees one nothing. At the end of seven innings, it's tied up Pittsburgh three to Giants three, and at the end of the first inning, Milwaukee two, Cincinnati nothing. Everything else in the majors going tonight. Here's the 1-2 delivery and it's swung on a ground ball hit out the shortstop. Up of the ball is Freddie Marsh, puts the force on Bob Young as he tosses to Nellie Fox and the side is retired. Max Lanier rounds into a fourth play. Freddie Marsh to Nellie Fox for the fourth on Bob Young to retire the side. And for the St. Louis Browns in the top half of the fourth inning, there were no runs, no hits, no errors. One man was left on. And at the end of the first half of the fourth inning, the score remains the Chicago White Sox four and the St. Louis Browns two. So oh, the third stands
1: out without a doubt, and that requires a time. But according to the catcher, here's what the umpire Time out for smooth and golden, mellow brew. That's real enjoyment through and through. That's hate that once and once you do. You will sing out the ball, tap, sing out the ball, tap, sing out the ball, tap, sing uh-huh. here. out, <laughs> okay. And that is number uh, 76 now into the top half of the seventh inning as the storm... Just two up here for the Westbox for scoring seven runs. A storm brewing up behind us it. and a lot of dark clouds.
0: And we've got a storm brewing up for you right now as uh, we call on Southern Al Hopper to come back in here and take over. Man, I don't know what kind of a scarf it's gonna be for, but we really had something right here. Yes, hey, sir. Those socks have had eleven base hits and with their eleven runs. Seven runs. We're ready here in the top half of the seventh inning with Johnny Groth coming up now. And Doris is ready to make the first pitch for him. He does, whistles a curveball through there for a strike. The new catcher for the White Sox is Sherman Lawler. And Stevens, Brian Stevens, has gone to shortstop. Let's put the swung on by Groth. There's a high foul ball hit off to the left of the plate. Lawler coming over, getting under, takes the catch for out number one. So well, Sherman Lawler's batting in the number seven position. doing the White Sox catching here in the seventh inning. Stevens, is at short stop? That's Burn Stevens. We'll catch the rest of the changes for you in just a moment. Boy, that God behind us is really dark. Here's the cokes with one hit and three tries. Joyce. Fires fastball with left-handed batting Cocos and misses with it outside for ball one. Three runs on seven hits. St. St. has committed no errors. Has six on so far. Cocos swings on the next pitch. It's a half life ball out into left field. Meloso coming on for it. Makes the catch for out number two. Well, so we have two up and two down here in the top of seventh inning. That brings on Roy Seavers. the first baseman. Defense. We now have Harry Dorish on the mound behind the plate. Sherman Lawler. Payne is at first. Fox at second. Burns Stevens at short. Bob Elliott at third. The outfield remains the same. First pitch to right-hand hitting Roy Stevers is swung on a miss for strike one. All of these, all of these runs, going to help the cause of starting pitcher Saul Rogerman. There's a fastball swung on and a high pop-up to result out in very short right center field. Going back forward is Nelson Fox, the second baseman, 100 and takes it for out number three. Well, there was no trouble in the top of the seventh inning for Harry Joyce. He mowed the Browns down in order. And the score at the end of six and a half innings of play is the Browns three and the right Sox 11.
1: football quality football staff.
0: Yeah. We're moving into the last half of the seventh inning here at Comiskey Park in Chicago, and it's getting exceedingly dark. Out behind right field, and we may have rain before this ball game has reached its conclusion. However, rest assured, it is an official ball game now, so uh, we have no worry on that score. But it's getting very bad here at Chicago. The wind blowing in off the lake, blowing at a terrific cliff. and we may have rain as it is being preceded now by thunder.
1: The
0: wind is whipping up down uh, behind center field and uh, bringing up the dust off the diamond. So well, here we go into the last half of the seventh inning. First man up will be Sherman Lawler, the right-hand catcher, release catcher. Out of the mound is global Holloman, makes the first pitch, cross-fire, and misses low and outside for ball one. We've got a dust storm going on right here now. That usually precedes the rain. Curveball thrown by Holloman is in off the hip for ball one. Another ball, two. Two balls and no strike. As soon as we find out what happens with Sherman Lawler, we'll uh, the first pause for identification. Lawler watches the fastball slide off outside for ball three. Three balls and no strikes. It's getting gray. It's getting very dark here in Chicago now. The wind is blowing very stiffly from behind center field. Pitch the plate to Sherman Lawler. is a fastball over for call strike one. Three balls and one strike is the count on Sherman Lawler. Heaven's next pitch is swung on by Lawler. There's a high, tremendously high fly ball into right center field. Getting under it is Dick Copis, the right fielder, and makes the catch for out number one. That'll bring up Vern Stevens. Before he comes up there, let's pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the mutual broadcasting system. Now for the Chicago White Sox with one out, nobody on, in the last half of the seventh inning. Burns Stevens. He's been used in a utility role here for the White Sox. Swings on the pitch and doesn't get it. So, Bobble Holliman rears back, fires again. Stevens back off, takes a curve on the corner for a called strike. Holderman ready again, wasting no time. Delivery, strike free swinging. So that's all for Burns Stevens goes so quickly out of there, and Holman hangs up his first strikeout in the afternoon. Coming on now is Harry Dory, the White Sox relief pitcher, who came on, if you recall, in the sixth inning. Came on to pitch to Hunter, so he pitched two-thirds of the sixth inning. First pitch is swung on by Doris. There's a line drive hit into left field. It's in there for a base hit. So Doris is on. Down, Dorschon with a rifle shot in the left. That off um, Pullman is hit number two. That's hit number twelve all told for Chicago. Still continues to be dark and threatening here, but so far we haven't had any rain. lot a dust has been up and swirling around over the field, makes it look sort of bluishly uh, hazy. The batsman is Nelson Fox Second baseman starting the First Starting low round for Chicago He's been up there three times officially And has had three doubles Makes the first pitch across the shins on the inside for ball one Joyce, the base runner at first for the White Sox here in the last half of seventh
1: inning.
0: 11-3 in favor of Chicago over the St. Louis Browns. Elliman's fastball is inside off the belt buckle. Ball two to Manny Fox. 11 runs on run 12 hits for Chicago. Three runs on seven hits for the Browns. In comes the next pitch, fastball, low on, on the inside. Three balls, no stretch here don't blame old pops. six runs in the sixth inning he really had a merry-go-round working didn't he Real delivery outside for ball four so Nelson Fox throws his stick away moves off first base and Harry Doris walks down second Paul them that's based on balls number one that's the fifth based on balls to be picked up this afternoon by the white shots off the fishing of the St. Louis Browns Littlefield Lanier Stewart and now Holman, Riding left out of the first frame. Old had has gone over two this afternoon. He sacrificed once and walked one. He's up there for the fifth time swinging that lumber. Two down, two two down, two on last half of the seventh inning. There's a thunder rattling around here in the Chicago skies. It's raining outside the ballpark, but so far we haven't had any in here. to the plate is up above the letters. All on the count to first thing. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen ready, delivers one and all. Fast ball over to the knees. Count is one ball and one strike. On frame. Seven runs have been batted in here by the White Cross this afternoon. Manny Minoso has five of them. He's having himself quite today day. Air ball. Looks like a screwball breaking outside to a left-hand hitter. Ball two. Two balls and one strike to count on Ferris Payne. Runners are first and second. Two down. onlast to the seventh. Ferris given up two hits so far no runs runs. things swings on the next pitch, dump it down along the left field line. It's in there for a base hit. Here comes Dory, tearing around third. He's coming in to score. There's the pickup. Nelson Fox is going to try to score. The throw comes in, not in time, and Fox scores also. And okay. drops one down the left field line with in a pair. That the Chicago total up to 13. Was wasting no time. He was tearing around at third base. All right, George, me, for and second. Keep hit into the field right down the line. And here comes the rain. Brother, it's really coming. And the plate umpire, Charlie Berry, says, Wait a minute, boys. Let's hold this one up. Let's hold this one up and see what's going to happen. So the rain came right after first Payne doubles being held up right now. Let's see uh, how long it's going to be held up. First ball it's all entirely up to the umpire. But right now, it's 13 runs on 13 base hits for the white shot. And for the St. Louis Brownies, three runs on seven base hits. Neither side has been charged with an error here this afternoon. Six men have been left on so far by the Browns and going about seven times. And four men have been left on by the Chicago White Cross. I means simply that uh, they have been moving them off the bases and the Browns haven't. So the ball game is going to be held up for a little while. Do we we'll see whether or not it's going to rain hard enough to uh, stop this one completely? Actually, right now the rain is blackened off so we can hardly see it. So it came down in one of those April showers coming here on the first day of July in the Windy City. And wouldn't be a bit surprised if we might get this one started right back again. Well, yep, here comes Charlie Berry as well as that was just a little flush of the car, let's uh, get back at it, huh? Well, we're very thankful that uh, we're continuing here, because after all, got a plane to catch New York tonight. And while uh, the cameras have been taken off, home plate and pitchers, man, got a couple of wives we'd like to acknowledge. From Childers or is it children's Texas? From Mel Carter asking this question on an appeal play, is the hit allowed? Well, it all depends. In the case of uh, human error this time, it was not allowed because he didn't touch first base. Memphis Tennessee sends a wire, and an uh, old friend of ours that tweets the trumpet in the band. We call him Cousin Jimmy. <laughs> Wants to know which uh, of the dealers have the tougher one-nighters. We plan with the band from on the baseball circuit. I don't know, I guess it's a little cross up, of course. So Hot Springs, Arkansas, a very fine wife of Eddie Hunnick to tell us that tomorrow is going to be Hal Martin night in Hot Springs and the fans are presenting him with a set of golf clubs. Hal is the leading home run hitter of the Cotton States League with 28. We've it right up to the minute. I wish them all the good luck in the world and hope the fans get out and have a look at what's going to go on. Also from Sydney, Montana, Ray Whiting tells us that Roger Blodgett, 16-year-old, but I picked no-hit-no-run game as Sydney, Montana Junior Legion team defeated minus North Dakota Junior Legion 3-0 on the 25th. Stuck out 13 batters and has won two and lost one. And the folks out there listen to the game of the day over KGCX in Sydney. Wish them all the luck in the world out there, too, and hope they're with us every day when the game of the day is sent their way. Well, now, we start got back at the business here at White Sox Park. Mini Minoso is the batter. Down comes the pitch to Minoso, and the out doesn't get it. Check one. Thunder still rattling through the skies overhead. Minoso swings on the next pitch and doesn't get it. Alderman Scott with him, as no balls to strike. Dane drops off second. In comes the pitch, swung on. There is a looping fly ball hit into right field. Focus comes up to it and grabs it for out number three. So well, that's all here in the seventh inning. Start to right, Josh, pick up a pair. Two runs on 2 base hits. There no errors and one man was left off. And before we go to the top half of the eighth inning, I'd like to, once again, remind all of you folks about uh, your minor league ball club. And by the way, speaking of the minor leagues, half of the eight farm clubs of the White Shocks are in first place today, following last night's action. Our Memphis are tied with Nashville, Colorado Springs, Waterloo, and Madisonville. Well, we really hope that all you folks are going to get out and cheer those boys and keep them right up in the top spot in their league. They've had some good pitching and some heavy hitting. Right here we've had some uh, heavy pitching, heavy hitting, vice versa. And the score at the end of seven innings to play is the White Sox, 13, and the St. Louis Browns, 3. If you've got a throw to do around the house that you've been putting off, well, here's how to get the job done. Promise yourself a reward for doing it well like a good cold bottle of can of Fallstaff beer. You'll treat yourself to the finest, the premium quality in Fallstaff, guaranteed right on its gold and white premium label. Yes, sir, Fallstaff is always the choicest product of the brewer's eye. Anyway, what I'd like you to do, just taste premium quality Fall staff, and then you'll see what I mean. We start to get ready here for the eighth inning. Lo and behold, the rain's come down again. And Charlie Perry says, boys, we're going to have to hold it up for another few minutes. But at least we've got seven full complete innings in. And we have a 13-3 ball game in favor of the struggle white shots. They have 13 runs on 13 hits, no errors. And so far in the game, they have left five men aboard. And for the St. Louis Browns, three runs on seven base hits. They've committed no errors, and they have stranded six. Well, the rains are coming down here once again, and it looks as though uh, we may not be able to resume this one, as uh, the rains are driving down in pretty good fashion. However, it's 13-3 in favor of the White Sox, and it will go in the books as such, if we never get another pitch here at Comiskey Park this afternoon. So while we're waiting to see whether or not this ball game is going to be continued, I think uh, Archleason might be able to bring us up on the score He's been over-checking with the Western Union kicker. So, uh, Art, if you will, please, while we watch the raindrops swirl here at Trimisky Park. Well, it's a dark. I can hardly read them. We'll <laughs> turn on the light for you, buddy. Anybody <laughs> got a
1: flashlight?
0: In the American League, however, the Boston Red Drops handed the New York Yankees their ninth great loss this afternoon at Fenway Park in Boston. As they shut out the Yankees 4-0, Mel Parnell, pitching a 4 8 shutout.
1: At the five-and-a-half innings, Pete Floyd leads the Cleveland Indians <laughs> 3-2. He's pitching for the Tigers, and Bob
0: Lemon pitching for Cleveland. Sounded like you just hit a couple out there to right field that thunder Yeah, buddy, I got news for you. Listen to that one. I got news for you. If they're going to keep this up, I'm going to take the choo-choo train to New York. You <laughs> <laughs> get out of if that lightning comes much closer. You know, right while those lightning flashes right back to the city, can I? Al we with the scores. Detroit leads Cleveland three to two at the end of five and a half. Al Rosen made his 18th homer in the first with one on. Washington and Philadelphia are playing tonight. In the National League, in 11 innings, the Pittsburgh Pirates defeated the New York Giants five to three. Listen to that thunder. Further, Pittsburgh Pirates five runs, eight hits, no errors, and for New York. Three runs, eight hits, and three errors. Petsy, who came on to relieve in the 10th inning for the Pirates, was the winner. And Wilhelm, who came on to relieve in the 7th inning for New York, was the loser. At, at the end of the six and a half innings, Milwaukee leads the Cincinnati Reds 9-2. Home runs uh, for Milwaukee, Sid Gordon and Eddie Matthews, and for Cincinnati, Greengrass. Philadelphia and Brooklyn are playing tonight, and the Chicago Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals are playing tonight. And if the weather is anything uh, like it is right here in Chicago at the moment down in St. Louis way, Al, they might get rained out. It's really coming down, huh? Yeah, this is one of the hardest rains out I've seen in quite some time. The ground crew is trying to get the infield covered, but I doubt seriously if they're going to get the second half of the infield covered before the soaked it completely. Of course, uh, they've been needing a lot of rain through the Midwest anyway, and uh, the ground here at Comiskey Park in Chicago drains pretty easily anyway. And between the fact that it's dry and the drains being pretty good, might be able to keep the infield from getting too soaked, and the rest of the ball game will be able to play. However, the St. Louis Browns are behind here, 13 to three. And they have two innings and want to do something about it. Well, the White Sox don't seem <laughs> to mind, uh, They wouldn't care if this ball game would be called immediately now because it would mean if they would have picked up another game. But As far as the American League is concerned, the New York Yankees, as I told you a few minutes ago, are ju- have just lost their ninth ball game in a row. And for them, it must be some sort of record. I haven't, and I don't think Art has, the actual record of how many they, as a ball club, have lost in a row, you might find it in the red book, there, Rod. If you'd like to take a look. Well, I remember Al that uh, during Casey's uh, four years as manager of the Yankees last year, they lost five in a row, it was the longest losing streak they had under Sengle. Uh, I, uh, as I recall, while they were having that uh, losing streak, uh, it goes way back into the twenties that the Yankees have lost that many. I'll try and see if I can find it in that Red Bull. Yeah, I think maybe the American League Red Bull might give you that the longest-losing streak for the New York Yankees, but nine certainly is, if not tops, very close to tops for the New York Yankees. Nine in a row, as this afternoon, the Boston Red Sox behind Mel Parnell as uh, I told you, shut out the New York Yankees on a 4-0 count. There have been several other things, too, that have broken as far as news is concerned. See whether the New York Yankees have, uh, asked for waivers on Ewell Blackwell, and although Blackwell is a ten-year man, and I should say, and Blackwell is a ten-year man, so he cannot be sent back to the miners unless he says yes, he will go. And the Yankees would like to send him back to the miners, back to Kansas City to try to work out a bad arm. However, it all depends on what Blackie wants to do. And also, the A's have gotten Carmen Murrow and have sent Thomas to the Senators all on waivers. So they traded outfielders in a deal that sent uh, Keith Thomas to the Senators and Tom and Morrow to Philadelphia. Morrow, by the way, was hitting uh, 3.27 for Montreal last year. He was formerly with the Chicago Cubs. He's the same guy who was very fast but was unable to hit major league pitching in the National League. We've been talking quite a bit about the National League All-Stars, too, and the American League All-Stars. Of course, uh, Mutual Carry, the All-Star Game on the 14th of July, out of the city of Cincinnati, as one of its many exclusive sports features. And uh, as all the folks around the nation have been balloting on their Major League Stars to get them uh, places in the All-Star Game, and we're very thankful that many of our listeners on the Mutual Game of the day, have added their ballots. We should have been rolling in and see that Ted Kruzyski in the National League for first baseman has almost a half million votes, there's 491,804 as of this morning. Roger of Brooklyn is second with 472,916. The second base position in the National League is being led by Red Beast with 503,421. Ryan of Philadelphia second with Williams of New York third. As far as the third basemen are concerned, the young sophomore Eddie Matthews of Milwaukee leads with 498,628. And at shortstop, T.W. Reese leads Granny Hamner by 12,000 votes. Reese has 4,482,982 and Hamner 470,615. For the left field position, Sam Musial has moved into the lead again over Ralph Tyner, Dan Musial, 497,272, as to Ralph Tanners, 483,166. In center field with the Ashburn of Philadelphia leads by a slight margin over Duke Snyder of Brooklyn. Ashburn has 486,201, and Snyder leads for the center field post. Snyder's in second place with with 477,595 field Hank Stower of Chicago has drawn 478,356 to lead over Enos Slaughter of St. Louis, who has 461,773. For the catchers, Campanella of Brooklyn is leading over Crandall and Wright. For Campanella, 492,182. And for Crandall of Milwaukee, 448,616. Now that's your National League leading in the poll for the All-Star game. Well, the rain is still coming down here and coming down hard, so we're going to have to still hold this ball game up a while to see whether or not they're going to be able to get it in. Now, over in the American League at first base, leading in the way of uh, first base votes, is Mickey Brennan of Washington. He has 521,647. At the second base position, Billy Goodman of Boston, leading with four hundred and sixty-nine thousand three hundred fifty-eight. over Nelson Fox of Chicago in second place. of Cleveland is third. The third base position on the American League basketball team right up till now is Rosen of Cleveland with uh, 474,229. Scooter of Philadelphia, surprisingly enough, is in second place, 431,813. Then comes Skell of Boston with 428,155. For the shortstop position, still the little Scooter leads everybody in the American League. He has 472,306. Carlos Skell of Chicago was second with four hundred and sixty-four thousand and then it drops way down to the team of Detroit with two hundred and seventy three thousand so it looks as though it'll be a fight between Rizzuto and Carastello for the starting position on the American League All-Star team. In left field Gasturnio of Philadelphia is leading with four hundred and eighty-three thousand five hundred and eleven Minoto of Chicago second with four hundred and forty two thousand seven hundred and four the center field position, Mickey Mantle of the New York Yankees leads with 529,887, and then Busby of Washington is in second with 335,000. So Mickey Mantle has quite a lead for the center field spot in the American League All-Star Pole. In right field, Hank Bauer of the New York Yankees leads with 481,548, and almost 100,000 behind him is Newman of Detroit with 376. Then comes Mealy of Chicago. The catcher, Yogi Berra out in front over White of Boston. Berra of the Yankees, 494,649, while White of Boston has 372,114. We thought we'd bring you up to date while we had a few minutes' time here, waiting to see whether or not the rain would abate. It's been going in the All-Star poll. and we're very grateful to all of our listeners across the nation who have taken uh, pencil in hand and written out their starting line. So our poll is closed now, and we're waiting for the final tabulations on just who the men will be playing in the All-Star game this year. As far as the standings of these two ball clubs are where these two leagues are concerned, in the National League, Brooklyn is still out in front by one half game over the Milwaukee ball club But that's on the losing side. Both teams have won a total of forty-two games. Brooklyn has lost twenty-six, and Milwaukee has lost twenty-seven. So there are only nine percentage points separating Brooklyn and Milwaukee in the National League, and that's going to make for an even tighter race. As St. Louis, in third place, is only two and one-half games off the pace. They've won forty and lost twenty-nine. Philadelphia comes in in fourth place, then three games off the pace with. A 37-27 affair for a percentage of 5.78, And then comes the fifth-place New York Giants. They're seven and a half games behind, followed by Cincinnati in sixth place, 12 games behind. The Chicago Cubs in seventh are 18 games behind. And Pittsburgh bringing up the rear with 20 and one-half games behind. In the American League, the New York Yankees, who slid down another one here this afternoon, and Cleveland, who has their ball game to go yet, they're five games behind right now. The New York Yankees having lost their ball game, two Boston find themselves only four and a half games out in front. And should Cleveland win the ball game, then Cleveland, who right now are behind the four to two at the end of seven innings, if Cleveland should pick up and win that one, they'll find themselves only four games behind. Chicago is in third place, and the White Sox are six and a half games off the pace. And if they should win this one today. New York, having lost theirs, they'll go to five and a half games behind while the Boston Red Sox, who tagged the New York Yankees, have picked up an entire game on the New York Yankees and are only now nine and a half games behind in fourth place in the American League. Washington follows them in, in number five position, 13 games behind. Philadelphia in sixth are 16 games behind. And St. Louis in seventh, 22 games behind. Detroit in eighth are 27 games off the pace. Well, that's about how everything starts up in baseball as far as the All-Star Bowl is concerned and as far as the standings in the Major League clubs are concerned. That uh, brings us up to the minute on the information we've been able to uh, secure around the circuit. And as far as this ball game here is concerned, it was uh, held up at the end of uh, seven full innings of play with the White Sox leading the score, the White Sox 13, and the Browns 3. Park in Chicago. The rains have let up considerably, and we're waiting to see whether or not the umpires are going to have the boys back out there on the playing field. They were able, that is, the ground keepers were able to get one half of the infield covered and uh, weren't able to get the other half covered. So around first base and the second base position, we find considerable water and a lot of uh, puddles. But Pitches Mound and home plate covered, And the folks are all sitting around here waiting now to see whether or not this ball game is going to continue. So if it should, of course we'll stay right with you. If not, well, it'll have to be called today at the end of seven innings with the White Sox winning the ballgame 13 to 3. But that's uh, on the lap of the guards, and also the man upstairs who turns on the ticket and sends down the range. So we will continue to sit along here and wait. And inasmuch as it's come time for network and station identification, suppose we pull switches along the network, fellas. All set? Here we go. Okay. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. back here to Comiskey Park in Chicago now and we were saying a few minutes ago that nine losses by the New York Yankees must for them set some sort of a record. Well, we've been looking through the books and we haven't been able to find any tabulation of it, but uh, Art Gleason is still looking through the books and he's been looking for the longest losing streak in the American and National League and I think he's come up with it. So, uh, Art, how about you coming on in here and telling the folks about uh, what you found out? Well, i live a long ways from the uh, most consecutive games lost. Uh, The record is 26, which is uh, set by Louisville on May the 22nd of 1889. Then in uh, 1899, Cleveland, who at that time was in the National League, they lost 24 in a row. And the modern record, of course, is uh, 20 games lost by Boston, in the American League, in 1906. Philadelphia? uh, In the American League, July 21st. To August the 8th of 1916 and Philadelphia again lost 20 August the 7th, August the 24th
1: of
0: 1943 For so the, Yan- so the Yankees, we don't have just how many they lost, but I believe Al, it was during the year of 1925 under Miller Huggins when they finished the 7th place that they uh, had their greatest loss of consecutive games but just what the number is I don't recall I do recall uh, Back in 1950, though, we had a lot of weather just like we're having here at Canisbury Park today down at Griffith uh, Stadium in Washington. Do you remember those days? Oh, yeah, I remember those very well, Art. They used to hold up the ball games, and we'd look up the time and say, Well, let's see, will it get over or won't it get over? Then we'd take a look at the clock and say, Well, we might as well cancel out on yonder airplane because I don't think we're going to make it. And uh, just about the same situation happened here this afternoon Art. although the rain has let up considerably, it's still coming down here, I desire, I, well, I, I doubt very much if they'll decide to go ahead and continue this. when that infield on the right side is pretty well uh, caked with mud now, and we have some patches of water down there. But it all depends on what the groundskeepers are going to be able to do here. If they can possibly continue this ball game, they will, because the Browns have, of course, an opportunity to do something in the ball game despite the fact they have only two Two innings left to them. Still, uh, I've known ball clubs to uh, make a lot of runs in one inning. And by making a lot of runs in one inning, they're winning a the game. So, after all, they've got uh, a total of six outs remaining to them. And if this ball game continues, they have the opportunity always of coming up and closing the gap, picking up the ten runs to tie the game, and maybe the one that will win it out. And I know uh, you were talking uh, before the game with some of the White Sox officials, And uh, some of the information I did give out about the White Sox Farm Club's meeting, but I know you have some other information that will interest the fans around the country, particularly those who follow the White Sox and follow the ventures of the White Sox Farm Club. So Art, uh, how about you give them forth with that information, buddy? Well, uh, coming in here to Comiskey Park, it's always a pleasure indeed to get a hold of John Rigney, the... Bill Pitcher of the Chicago White right Sox in years gone by who now has charge of the farm system and kind of says along with it on how all those young kids are doing down there in the farm. You go into his office here at uh, Commission Park and he's got a big blackboard down there. He's got every one of them numbered. I think they're on something like 76 in the armed forces at the present time. But I know one fellow that he's very high on and that's that uh, Bill Wilson was the this spring. Uh, Bill got off to a very bad start during spring training with the... Uh, Chicago White Sox, but they sent him down to Memphis on Austin, and uh, the big outfielder, since he's joined the Memphis club, has hit 14 home runs and batted in 42 runs, and is hitting 348 for manager Luke Gaffling. Following tonight's game at Hutchinson, the Topeka Owls, the White Sox affiliate and the Western Association, return home to play host to the Joplin in a four-game series, Link Mayor Fowles currently in second place. So, uh, how about you fans around Paducah kind of getting out there and help old Link and the Owls get up in the first place. like to see all you fans get out and see as many of the minor league games as you possibly can. Everywhere Hitting has featured uh, Madisonville Drive, who is the top spot in the Kitty League. The Miners are at home tonight and tomorrow night with Paducah. Providing the opposition also leads the Kitty League in team batting with a mark of 291, which is a very good team average. And the team is stealing for an average of 949. Weeping Willie McPhail's Colorado Springs Sky Sox have just opened a long homestand which will run through July the 9th and find Lincoln, Sioux City, and Omaha invading Colorado Springs. Al, where do they get that name of weeping Willie McPhail out there at Colorado Springs? Well, I don't know, but I wouldn't call him Weeping Willie McPhail because the next time he saw me he's obviously coming after me with a ball bat and his own spike. Well I know I, I, I think to get that name down in this uh, farm off the at committee part because I think uh, McPhail is always weeping for more health and more ball players. Well that's probably true. They attack some of the dark names on ball players and uh, baseball officials you ever saw in your life. But uh, it's all done in uh, a lot of fun, and I think it's always accepted as such. Right. Well, everybody, talking about weeping, it's really raining here yet in Chicago, and a lot of the bronze have gone uh, across the diamond out to the chute which leads to the showers. So if that's any indication, well, it could or could not be. But uh, we'd just like to uh, tell the folks who perhaps have just tuned in with us that uh, this ball game was held up at the end of seven innings of play because of the downpour here in Chicago. And the score at that time was the White Sox 13 and the Browns 3. You know, there's something about a tall cross, a glass of false that always makes a friendly evening at your favorite tavern just a little more enjoyable. And that something is false genuine premium quality. Guaranteed right on its golden white premium label. Yes, sir, from the first golden clear class bowl, your smiling bartender pours for you, right down to your last satisfying taste. Fallstaff is brimful of true premium quality flavor and character that no other beer can equal. Sure, Fallstaff is always the truest product of the brewer's eye. Right back here to Comiskey Park in Chicago, with the rain having almost stopped. There's a possible chance of uh, playing the rest of the ball game and getting it in. However, it's a 13-3 ball game right now in favor of the Chicago White Sox. As we wait and see what's played, umpire Charlie Sperry and his cohorts are going to do. In the meantime, we have received a wire from Miami, Florida, from C.W. Hicks, wanting to know where old Diz is. Once Norby's in Fort Worth, where he is, well, as far as I know right now, Dizzy is on his way to New York City, and he'll be with you. He and Gene will be with you all tomorrow from Ebbett Field. I'm very I'm glad to know that the folks down in Miami, Florida enjoyed the broadcast from Macon and Fort Worth. I'd like to say that both in Macon and Fort Worth, the mutual crew enjoyed themselves tremendously. Was the game between the Macon features and the Augusta Ranch, providing a very fine ballgame for us on Monday in Mutual's minor league game of the day. And yesterday with all the football and the yellow atmosphere in Fort Worth, it was a pleasure to be at the park at LaGray Field and broadcast the Fort Worth Cats playing the Tulsa Oilers. By the way, in case you didn't hear the announcement from Fort Worth yesterday, on the 24th day of July, Mr. P.W. and Mr. BJ, has arranged with Gail Hollett that the mutual crew will be in Tulsa on the 24th day of July for the broadcast of the Tulsa Oilers. And the San Antonio Ball Club, I believe it is. After all, I uh, just heard snippets of the conversation. And if it is not San Antonio, it'll be Beaumont, but I believe it's San Antonio. So down in Texas Week again on the 24th day of July to visit with our friends in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, well, I'll be looking for it. I know personally to going down there. I haven't been in Tulsa for about 15 years. And they tell me the place is uh, even better than it used to be. And Heavens knows it was a fine place then. But we get a tremendous kick out of going to the various towns in which our broadcast are heard, and meeting all the folks. And we sincerely hope that on the 24th of July we can see and meet lots of folks in Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma. We had a great time with Jim Humphreys and Bob Murphy and the crew down at uh, Oklahoma City when we were in there for that ball game just a couple of days back. And we'll be looking forward to visiting down in Tulsa. First, we'll have our other minor league ball games throughout the course of the season for you, because we found that. Uh, has been an interest shown in the broadcast of the minor league ball games that have been selected to fill in on the major league open day, and we'll continue to bring you these ball games just as long as we know you like. Well, the ball game we were bringing you here this afternoon at the end of uh, seven innings was thirteen to three in favor of the White Sox over the St. Louis Browns, and we're still waiting to see whether Charlie Perry and the umpires. Stevens, Duffy, and Summers get their heads together and say, yes, boys, let's go ahead and try to continue this one or whatever, we're going to wash it out. Right now, the rain has stopped completely. See, the umpires have now stuck their heads out of the dugout of the White Sox, and we may have a decision made on this any moment. In the meantime, we'll hang right on here and uh, see if we can not talk a little baseball along with you and uh, find out exactly what they're going to do. Say, Al, I uh, want to put in here for a moment I need to get in for a lot of moments, buddy. Don't you give me that minute stuff now. Over to the front box, right next to us, here, Comiskey Park. Warren Brown, the sports editor of the Herald American, he's been following the fortunes of both the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox for many, many years. He's hollering out of the window down at the umpires. and The White Sox sent out to play ball. He wants to get home. I noticed him a little while ago, Al. Uh, he gave the fellow that runs the numbers on the scoreboard out there, a peanut shower. Years back, uh, when I was broadcasting out at uh, Wrigley Field, Los Angeles, Bob Alton and Pat Flanagan used to come out with in the white Sox. They'd get down at the microphone, which is right behind the screen, down behind old plate, and the press box is right above them. Warren Brown would always give me that penis shower, and I just have to remind me of years gone by when he gave the fellow oh, in the corner here that penis shower. And I remember well once, he must have bought at least 15 pounds of penis, and set them on us all at one time up there. Well, you want to watch yourself because that Elton is right back here now and i booth using our telephone for which you can collect 25 cents on each call. So. <laughs> <laughs> I took my life in my hand. Oh, well. See, the umpires have come out now to examine the uh, Diamond art to see whether or not this ball game will continue Charlie Perry stepping around first base down there. They didn't get first base covered during the rainstorm and it really came down here with a torrential downpour. Right now, the groundskeepers are being asked to come out. Charlie Berry wants to talk to the head groundskeeper here to see whether or not they're going to be able to drain the park enough for the ball game to continue. It's been held up now for approximately half an hour. Well, I see the plan, aren't there? goes one over. You so, uh, know, I guess I don't have to climb on that choo-choo net after all. I guess I can get that plane over again at 6 o'clock on American Airlines. That'll be the... Number six, advanced Mercury. And the groundskeepers have come out now, and Charlie Perry talking to them. It looks as though we might be able to get the water soft up down there at first base, and this ball game back underway. Of course, it'll be a few minutes before that happens. It's a 13-3 ball game in favor of the White Sox, and we'd like to tell you just exactly how things started. For the Browns, they came on in the first inning with one man out, Corpus, the number two hitter up in the order. we head back and hit a home run into the right field stands off Star Riverton. And put the Browns out in front, one to nothing. This is the only run they picked up in the first inning. Coming back in the last half of the first inning, the White Sox threatened. Got a man, Nelson Fox, as far as third base, but he died there. So at the end of one inning, it was one to nothing Brown. In the second inning, was two outs. Young, Bob Young, the second baseman doubled the right center, and Hunter was walked intentionally. Then Littlefield came up and smacked a line drive into right center field. And the starting pitcher for the Browns registered his first run by into the afternoon. That meant that the Browns were ahead to nothing. Then the White Sox rolled back in the last half of the first inning, with were their tripling and coming in when Red Wilson set a half-ide ball into right field. So it was two to one ball game then. And in the top of the third inning, as in the fourth and fifth, the Browns failed to score. But the White Sox came roaring back with three in the last half of the third inning and picked up those three runs to run their total of four. So it was a 4-2 ball game at the end of three full innings of play. And there was no more scoring in the ballgame until the Browns came along in the first half of the sixth running and put a pair of doubles together, followed by a pair of singles together, followed by a line drive in the right field by Young to drive in a run. So it was a 4-3 ball game as we moved into the last half of the sixth running. But that was the draw that broke the camel's back. Because 11 men came to the fight in the last half of the sixth running in which the White Sox scored six times and uh, on five base hits. I it seven times. Seven times on five base hits. To run the total, a total up to 11. And from there on, it was sort of pretty by the door. As the Browns had given way almost completely. Then score the top half of the 7th inning, rolling out in the easy order. And in the last half of the 7th inning, two runs were picked up by the White Sox. To run their total of 13. And the rains came down in the seventh inning. And just as the seventh inning had ended, Minoso flying to right field for two runs, two hits, and one error. The Reigns held up the ball game, and it's been in that status ever since. A 13-3 affair in favor of Chicago, who are in third place in the American League, six and a half games off the base at game time. And with the New York Yankees having lost their ball game to the Boston Red Sox, as news as right now, the White Sox are only six games behind, and should they win this win, then it seems likely that they will. They'll be only five and one-half games behind in the American League. So the Yankee lead is winning. Milwaukee is apparently trying to pick up again because... Uh, the information has come in that uh, Milwaukee has defeated Cincinnati 10-2. I think Hart uh, has the uh, has left the scores for him right after the minute. And we'll give you all the facts and figures and information on uh, the rest of the baseball games immediately following the broadcast of this one on the scoreboard. Now, the ground crew is coming out to take off the canvas, so they're going to try to get this one started again. So I had a few more run over uh, the scores we have now. I'd appreciate it very much, and uh, I want to see what Charlie Perry crew down there are going to do. Well, right now, uh, the Milwaukee Perrys evidently have shaken their uh, batting slump because the score just came in. Milwaukee defeated the Cincinnati Reds 10-2. Other games in the National League, Pittsburgh, in 11 innings this afternoon, Defeated the New York Giants 5-3, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, and Chicago, St. Louis, the National League, are playing tonight. The Boston Red Sox handed the Yankees their ninth loss in a row as Mel Parnell pitched a four-hit shutoff, Boston, four, the New York Yankees, nothing. At the end of their innings, the trend four, proven two, Seth Gray going all the way to the Tigers, Lemon started, and Bob Hooper. Came on to pitch in the eighth inning for the Clues and Indians. The only other game in the American League scheduled for today is Washington at Philadelphia, and they're playing under the lights. All right, let's see. For Mel Parnell, I believe that'll be his tenth win, and uh, he's pitched his second shutout of the current campaign. He's sort of the bell cow of the Boston Red Sox staff, and I can imagine he feels pretty fine about his victory over the New York Yankees. Everyone around the baseball circuit, wherever we go, keeps saying, "Al, what what happened to the Yankees? What are they doing?" Well, I guess it's just one of those things that'll happen to a ball club. It's happened many, many times. As I pointed out once before, Al, when the question was asked me, I said, "Well, in uh, 1951, the New York Giants creeped up on the Brooklyn Dodgers, who blew a 13-game lead in the National League. So when well, things like that happen to a ball club that's really rolling," Well, you can just figure that a uh, front will hit most team, and it's no respecter of talent or personnel. Uh, when the front comes, it usually bites you pretty hard, but a lot of the folks are saying, too, that they're glad to see that Milwaukee has suddenly shaken uh, their losing streak. They had eight, as you recall, and uh, then stopped it at a date when they beat Cincinnati last night in the second game of the twilight doubleheader. And here this afternoon, they jumped on Cincinnati again. Milwaukee getting 10 runs and Cincinnati getting only two. So we'll be watching very closely in the National League, particularly because the race is tight in the National League right now and has all indications of being tightened down in the American League, with the New York Yankees having lost their ball game again today. That means that uh, they're. Game lead will be cut by one full game over the second place, but the Cleveland Indians should be Cleveland Indians come through and win their ball game. They're behind right now at the end of eight innings, to two, Detroit leading them. But uh, one can never tell about a game of that sort, because uh, quite often they'll come back and uh, bounce you. And the final score has just been put up on the board here at Comiskey uh, Park in Chicago. Detroit has beaten the second-place Cleveland Indians, so they'll make no ground on the Yankees today. It's a four to affair in favor of Cleveland, and favor of Detroit over Cleveland, so that means that Cleveland, getting along to uh, try to pick up ground on the Yankees will not do so today. But uh, here at... Uh, the bar. the third place you saw the White Sox can pick up ground on the Yankees if this ball game should not get back underway, or if they are able to go ahead and uh, beat the St. Louis Browns, from they lead right now, 13 to three. So the White Sox should move up to the I had all the Cleveland Indians actually in percentage points, I believe. I'll pick that up and make absolutely certain. Chicago six and a half games off the pace, and Cleveland five games off the pace at game time today. Well, it means that uh, Cleveland will still remain five games off the pace. But uh, six and a half games, Chicago behind. That means they'll pick up a full game. If they win this one over New York, who lost their ball game today, that'll mean that they'll be exactly five and one half, so it'll be just a half game that Chicago will be in third place. So it makes the race pretty tight in the American League. As far as the fourth place Boston Red Sox are concerned, they are ten and a half games out before uh, they late the Yankees today. It means they're nine and a half games out now. So the race tightens up there, and in the National League, we'll find it it will continue to be tight in the ball games played between Brooklyn, Milwaukee, St. Louis, and Philadelphia. Philadelphia, game time today. We're only uh, three games off the pace being set by the Brooklyn Dodgers. So it means between the first place ball club and the fourth place ball club, there are only three games different. The fifth place New York Giants were seven and a half games down, and they lost to Pittsburgh today, so that'll drop them down a little bit more. It all depends on what Brooklyn's going to do in their ball game with Philadelphia tonight. Of course, that has to be considered. Milwaukee, however, has picked up that half game, and uh, Brooklyn is going to have to uh, win their ball game tonight if they want to stay on top in the National League. They already have that information there, and of course, they'll be going out with blood and eye tonight to see if they can't do something about it. So New York and Philadelphia, or rather Brooklyn and Philadelphia, in that ball game at Brooklyn tonight, looms as a very important affair, because after all, the Philadelphia Phillies are struggling, too, to stay up in the first division and also get nearer and nearer the top. And they're only three games out. That gives them an opportunity, too, of picking up one full game on the league-leading Brooklyn Dodgers. Well, right now the groundskeepers are taking the car fallen off the field as the umpires stand around and wait. And I want you to know they're doing it very slowly. As after all, the White Sox are leading in this ball game. And uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Mr. Richards would just as leave hang up the spikes for the afternoon. Because it would mean that his ball club would have touched another one into the record books as a win in their favor. And in case you just tuned in with it. We should like to remind you that at the end of seven full innings of play, the score, the White Sox 13, the Browns 3. Here at Comiskey Park in Chicago, where we're still waiting to see whether or not they're going to continue this ball game or not. We've been talking a lot about the Chicago White Sox and what they've been doing and so forth. One of the happiest guys I ran into when he was on his last swing in the East was Bob Elson, a fine Chicago White Sox broadcaster. uh, Well, the last time I saw him, he said, Boy, we beat those uh, Athletics, we beat the New York Yankees, boy, we're ready to go. Talking about the Go Go Sox. Well, they were stopped last night, but they came roaring back here this afternoon at the Bob. Yes, they sure did, Al. You know, the big story about the White Sox my their last Eastern trip was the story of the Cats. You hear the Cats story? Oh, uh, Art started to tell me something about it, but uh, play interfered. We have no play down there now, so Bob. we all ears, boy. Go ahead. I tell you, in the second game, or the opening game of the New York Yankees series, uh, the White Sox, uh, it was in the first half of the second inning, a Cats ran out of the right field stand someplace, and the first thing we saw was the cat was down around first base. And the Yankees uh, all tried to catch the cat and couldn't, and he came over back of the plate, and then some fans ran out of the aisles and tried to catch the cat, and they couldn't get him. So finally the cat nonchalantly turned around and walked into the white Sox dug up. Mm-hmm. And I claimed that that was the charm, mm-hmm. that the cat really gave us the fur and the incentive. And he was a black and white cat, and I saw the cat again uh, the next day. I went down in the sock. You know where the visiting dressing room is on the stadium. Sure. Well, I saw this cat there again the next day with an orange cat, and the following day, I got there early before the ball game again went down into the or they served food to the press and radio and I saw the cat again So I gave the cat credit for all this, and uh, we've started quite a cat story here. I don't know how many cans and boxes of sardines have been mailed in here, and I've got uh, wires from all over the country about that cat. Have you still got it? Have you still got it, nobody? Well, the story about the cat is, you see, we have a number of riders with us uh, traveling with the team. They weren't wise to the cat story. And all of a sudden, with all the excitement breaking loose on the cat, their editors start the wire, send the stories on, on the cats. The whole town is talking about the cats. Well, they haven't been in on the cat story, so they are saying now, you know, that there was no cat. However, I am going to show the cats on television tonight the to picture of the cat. They, they run a big picture here the day after that game in the Chicago paper showing the cat on the field and uh, people trying to catch him, Bill Dickey trying to get a hold of him. Well, I've got that picture enlarged and I'm going to show it on television here tonight at 6 o'clock. So I need these fellows that say there was no cat. I don't know where they were. They must not have been there. Because that is the fabulous cat that started these White Sox really rocking them and stocking them. And if you'd have seen a fly ball that, um, also hit at Boston that go so only the foul. cat is in on that too. Well, <laughs> many one also claims that only the cat brought that, back, that ball back in there because <laughs> that ball was gone. Foul way up over in the left-hand corner, and all of a sudden it hit a wind current there, and Stevens took his head, turned his head away, and before he knew it, that ball dropped behind him, and the winning run was in, and we claim that was due to the cat again. Well, I'll be doggone. Well, look, uh, Bob, I've said time and time again, Again, I know uh, I've heard you say it too, that perhaps the most superstitious crowd in the world, the crowd that plays this game of baseball, and I imagine that they're looking for all these little things so they can yeah. uh, build their superstitions even higher. Well, that's right. Uh, ball players are very, very superstitious. They tell stories from way back to the beginning of time, even in, uh, in the old days, in the McGraw era. There were certain ball players that played for McGraw that would never eat except in one restaurant. And if they got on a hitting jag, they'd eat the same thing every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and never change. Until they went out into his (laughs) club. Let's say a pitcher would win a couple of games in a row. He'd go on a certain, eating a certain thing and in a certain place. He'd never want to eat anything else. They'd eat the same thing all the time. They are just about as superstitious as any group of people are. Uh, Well, you remember old Red Lucas. What a fine Yeah, very well. Red Lucas would never touch the foul lines as he walked across. He skipped to get over him. I remember that very, very very well. well. Somebody, I forget who it was now, would never go to second base without a rabbit's foot in his pocket. Was that Moranville? Could have been. that uh, and been quite a long time ago. Then there's a fellow always had a, a little wad of gum underneath the peak of his cap. That's right. With a plate. Oh, there have been all kinds of things. i know sure. sure you're not superstitious, so are you, Bob? No, I'm not superstitious. All oh, I would know. like is playing Jim Rummy <laughs> is some better cards. <laughs> That's all. I, I just can't seem to get it <laughs> to be I can play. <laughs> well, it's good to see you. I better get back to work. It's awful okay. nice to see you too, Bob. And come in and visit us any time you see this mutual microphone around. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Bob Elkerson. I'm broadcaster of the Chicago White Sox coming in to tell us the cat story that's been rattling all over the city of Chicago and has been going through the eastern seaboard like crazy and wouldn't be a bit surprised that uh, perhaps the paper in your uh, hometown will be picking it up very soon. It's, It's quite a fabulous story with all of the White Sox players claiming that the cat has brought them a great deal of luck. I don't know what they were blaming their loss on last night, but uh, here this afternoon, they must have found the cat before because they've really been bombarding the St. Louis Browns here today. Well, as we said a few minutes ago, they're going to try to continue this ballgame. They have ordered sand to be brought out and put over the right side of the diamond. So the groundskeepers are wheeling out the sand now and will be spread. So in the meantime, this ball game has been held up now, I would say, for about 40 to 45 minutes. And we've been trying to stay here with it for the simple reason that we've expected most any second that the game would either be called off or they would say go ahead and let's try to continue it. The rain has stopped completely here at Comiskey Park, so we'll hold up and see whether or not we're going to be able to get it in. In the meantime, we'd just like to alert our good friend Rocco Tito back to the studio and tell him uh, one thing for sure. Uh, this hangs on much longer, and uh, there's going to be any floor about it. Well, we might have to have some of that very fine music. We know those records like that could produce. Unless Hart has brought along uh, his or- mouth organ and his guitar, I want to play a little for it. Yeah, but I can't sing today. The <laughs> Allied right side of the infield looks uh, in pretty bad shape, though. I saw Charlie Berry step out on uh, them a moment ago, and he went up to uh, about halfway up the shoe top. In the mud, that would be kind of dangerous, unless they uh, that dries out in a hurry. Somebody take a quick turn around first base they're liable to turn an ankle. Well, that's right. I, I know that many times ball players have been hurt trying to continue ball games, and across the ball clubs... ...several games before they are able to get back in the lineup. And uh, I do know that they don't like to take any more chances with uh, the infield, and they absolutely have to. But still, the grasskeepers weren't able to get this one covered here completely today when the rains were coming down. So uh, the right side of it, arc is in pretty bad condition. However, the sand and uh, sawdust they'll be putting on here in a few minutes may soak uh, it up. I can remember back in uh, 1936, yeah, 36... Down at Cincinnati, an opening day, it had snowed before uh, the ball game had started, and they'd gotten out and swept the infield off. And then, lo and behold, it was sort of a misty drizzle, a cold misty drizzle, and it melted all that snow. And before the ball game could be put on at all, the grasskeepers had to come out and spread uh, a mixture of oil and sawdust with fans all over the infield, and they lit it up to dry it off. And they went ahead and played that ball game between Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. And I imagine if you wanted to ask him the story about it, Chuck Dressen would remember to tell you about it because Chuck was managing down at Cincinnati at that time. Remember, we worked the whole year with uh, Chuck Dressen as manager of the Cincinnati Reds. That's when uh, Lee Grissom was their old fireballer. They were working him about every other day. And uh, Grissom kept the Cincinnati Ball Club in the National League that year. And I remember uh, I was working the ball games there with uh, the old redhead, Red Barber. He had quite a time. Every time we turned around, uh, Grissom was coming in to pitch. And uh, I don't remember whether he pitched that day or not, but I believe if memory serves me rightly, he either pitched or relieved that day. But I do know that the, the infield was in bad condition. The outfield was very bad, but they went ahead and opened anyway and had a capacity crowd across the field. And old Iron McPhail was the general manager down there and the Major Domo. And when Larry said, yeah, we're going to go ahead and play, everyone said, if you think you're on the edge? just put the information out on the radio. We put it out on the radio, and lo and behold, those people picked up their tickets, walked down to the ballpark, sat there with a heat shot and while the two clubs went. And if memory serves me rightly, old Red Lucas, we were talking about a few minutes ago, pitched that opening day for
1: Pittsburgh.
0: Well, uh, you look back on some of those times, and uh, pleasant memories sort of pop up. You uh, get to thinking about some of the old pitchers, the old hitters, the old catchers, wonder what they are doing now. Of course, one of the fellas that's breezing along just about that time in the National League was a guy that worked with us almost every day, Diz Dean. He was still throwing that fireball of his, Art. And I can remember his daughter down in Pittsburgh because I'd gone to Cincinnati from Pittsburgh, moved over from the broadcasting coop in Pittsburgh to Cincinnati, and uh, we'd seen a lot of uh, Dez working against those Wayner boys down in uh, the city of Pittsburgh. And those two Wayners really would hit you to death when they got the opportunity. Many times people have said they couldn't understand why. with was so much, much fine talent on the Pittsburgh Ball Club in that particular era that uh, they never did finish any higher than they did. Just quite often you'll find artists. You'll get uh, some very fine talent on paper, and when it gets down to the final analysis... It doesn't gel as a team, and if it doesn't gel as a team, you can have the greatest talent in the world and still have a ball club that will lose it for you. And that's what happened, I think, with Pittsburgh, because they did have some fine stars in Woody Jensen, who was one of those outstanding outfielders of his day, and he had the two winners in the outfield down there. You had Tommy Severino, you had Pye Trainer, one of the greatest third basemen of all time. You also had Archie Vaughn coming up, Labigero was a young fellow then breaking in. And you had Gus Stewart first base. He could hit that long ball for you. Had Chapman and Grace behind the plate. To get you. And Gibson had some uh, pretty good ball players down there. Wade Hoyt was the pitcher. That. Uh well, he was like uh, Grissom. Every time he turned around, Wade Hoyt was coming on. You had Mace Brown down there. You had Larry Frank. You had a lot of fellas that were really able to pitch that ball. And Phil Swift for another. pitched a lot of fine ball for Pittsburgh at that time. Jack Salverson was with the ball club. Jack Salverson, I understand, Art, is still going along out on the west coast and is one of the leading pitchers in the Pacific Coast. And he must be at least uh, old enough to uh, say hello to you. Yeah, he's about my age. I understand, though. Last year he had a tremendous year along with with uh, Johnny Lindell, who so Fred Haney brought up to the Pittsburgh Pirates this year. But I understand now that Jack's through playing ball and uh, he's gone into business around Long Beach. Somebody uh, was telling me that was in Chicago the other day from the coach. Salvison was out of baseball. Yeah, oh, that's impossible. <laughs> that's impossible. I found Al. That's impossible. can't give up on baseball. I'm watching that fella spread that broad us around reminded me of a story back in about nineteen thirty thirty one, Long when about the time that Bobo Newton was fishing with the Los Angeles Club out from the Coast League, and they came up to Portland, Oregon. And it was their last visit in there, and of course, you know, Al, that it rains once in a while around Oregon. What do you mean once in a while, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> if your mother's listening in, she'll disown you. Well, a rainstorm came up, and uh, the morning, it was a Sunday game, and uh, Los Angeles Club wasn't coming back into the Northwest uh, anymore that season. So Jack Lullabell, who at that time was managing the Los Angeles Club, Uh, He wanted to get the games in. So I remember I took my car and Jack got me his uniform. We went to a gas station. and kept buying that gasoline by the five-gallon cans. We spread it around with a lot of sawdust around the infield. And he even had his uh, ball club out there in uniform spreading the sawdust around. (laughs) And they finally burned the field off in pretty good shape, and uh, they got the games in. of course, up here in the major leagues where they have so many... uh, so many groundkeepers, uh, the ball players don't have to work, but out in those minor leagues, you got uh, probably one or two fellas to pull that big trampoline, and uh, you don't have too much help out there. You were speaking a minute ago about uh, Archie Vaughn and those fellas, Al. I can well remember uh, how Woody Jensen and another fellow that I see every winter up in Oregon Jim Mostoff, remember that big outfielder? Oh yeah. Well, Woody, he's still up in Oregon. Yeah, he's uh, working up in Salem, Oregon. Got oh, a very fine him. position up there. And right as you go in his den, he's got a life-size picture of Pie Trainer, along with Babe Ruth, when the Pirates and the Yankees played the World Series. And you know, the first thing that impressed me when I look at that picture is the size of the gloves that they used in those days. It looked like they got them at the uh, drugstore someplace, just barely big enough to get your hand into them. And now they've got those fancy gloves. I always kid the ball players I go around the leagues up here today, and I said, how can you miss one with a glove like this? But uh, I well remember the day a very dear friend of mine at that time, Arch Griggs, owned the Wichita Club, the Western League. And to get Archie Vaughn. He purchased, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates purchased the whole ball club. And on the ball club that time, uh, Boots Weber, who later came up as general manager of the Chicago Cubs, is now retired. Uh, they happened to send Woody Jensen and Jim Mosoff over to Archbishop as a favorite at Wichita. And lo and behold, when Pittsburgh bought the ball club, Los Angeles lost two pretty good ball players. But you're, you're lying and uh, Mosoff. And as you mentioned, Ike Vaughn, there was a little left-hand pitcher that year that came up, and I can remember when the Pirates trained out on the coast next year, I always said he had the greatest curveball that I ever saw. Who was that? A left-hander by the name of Wood. Wood. I think he stayed one year with the Pirates, and that's the last I ever heard of yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember they were playing the White Sox in uh, Wrigley Field, an exhibition game, and Luke Gaffling came up to hit against him. And he'd take that bat and swing down on the ball just like he was putting kindling. He had a curveball as you start about a foot over your head and it'd break right around your knees. I never saw a fellow with a curveball, and he pitched, I think, just one year, and uh, that's the last day That's the fellow I was asking you one afternoon who the little left-hander was that came up with Pittsburgh and lasted only one year, pitched his heart out that one year, and never came back to the majors. That's the guy I was talking about, and I couldn't remember his name, and it pops up on the broadcast this afternoon. How about well, that? Well, uh, Al, he probably got a crook in his arm from throwing <laughs> so many curves that he can <laughs> never get it straightened out. Well, that's probably very true. I think we ought to tell the folks along the network, Doc, that uh, they're still trying to take care of the grounds here. At Comiskey Park in Chicago. As soon as they uh, get them all squared away, we're going to have this ball game to continue. But in case you just tuned in late with us, we should like to say that at the end of seven innings of play, the game was halted. And the score at that time was the Chicago White Sox 13 and the St. Louis Browns 3. All ready to go What's more, here is Charlie Ferry has called the pitchers to come out and warm up and get started. Here, he wants to finish this ball game. The right side of the infield has been covered with sand, has been covered uh, pretty completely. So it looks as though this ball game is going to get back underway in just a few minutes. 13 to three affair in favor of the White Sox, and the Browns will be coming to bat the top half of the eighth inning with Lenhart, Courtney, and Dyke in that order. Doris has gone back to the mound now to get warmed up. In the meanwhile, we've received a, letter, a wire from Green. Greenville, Mississippi, art from Bill Maughan, the general manager and former scout for the Braves and the Giants. He's a general manager of the ball club at Greenville, Mississippi, and his wife tells us that they're listening into the game of the day down there in their air-cooled runway of Sportsman's Park in Greenville, Mississippi. Air-cooled. Get that now? Well. And he says uh, that their ball club down there has won 22 of their last 29 games and is only one game out of first place in a very close race in the Cotton States League. Well, uh, they've done pretty well, Art, because as late as February, the 8th of this year, they didn't even have a ball club together. They didn't have a player. But uh, they've got them now, and they're going. They're going to play Jackson tonight, incidentally, and uh, I hope the folks down around there are going to get out to see Greenville play Jackson tonight down in the Cotton States League. You've got to cheer that ball club if you want them to come into first place now and stay there. So uh, so uh, we'll pass along all the regards that uh, Belmont has sent, and we sincerely hope that they have a lot of good luck down there, and we'd like to wish good luck to all the ball clubs in the minor leagues this year. Not only this year, but for as many years as they decide they are going to operate. After all, uh, baseball is one game that America has really taken to its heart and would like to keep right there as its national pastime. You were talking, we were talking about Charlie Berry a few minutes ago, Art. Uh, and uh, you slipped over here and said, did you remember when Charlie Berry caught out there? He's the catch for the Portland Beavers out in the Coast League, Al. I've got news for you. He still remembers having caught out there, too. <laughs> <laughs> He'll tell you some wild and woolly stories about having been in the Pacific Coast League. Just get him cornered sometime, Art. Right? I'll tell you when you get him cornered. Get him cornered after his day's work is doing his having dinner from a uh, restaurant and just walk up to him and say, yeah, Charlie, I understand that the greatest years of your life were spent out on the Pacific Coast, brother, and he'll take off like six eight. Well, I can remember, uh, Al, when he was testing out there, we had a, a Ford in Vancouver, and there was a young lieutenant who was quite a baseball fan, used to come over and watch the ball game. And lo and behold, after the war was over, Charlie went on that trip. You know that the umpires and the players take to Germany. And... Uh, this fellow who happened to be a young lieutenant at Vancouver back when he was playing with Pullman, was at that time a general in charge of 3S, uh-huh. and uh, is now stationed in New York, a very fine baseball fan, General Seabree. Oh, yeah. I remember when I was in Germany, uh, General Fieber and myself were the only two that uh, got the sporting news. From my very good friend down there in St. Louis, Mr. J.G. Taylor Spink. Hey, you know something? I haven't heard from J.G. Taylor Spink for so long, I think he must have crossed me off his list. Well, I imagine he's a pretty busy man right now, Al, but uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, uh, you'll be hearing from one of these days because I know every once in a while I'll get a wire from him. He said, where are you and what are you doing? Said, uh, you know, we were talking a few minutes ago Art, about uh, wondering how many uh, Yankees have lost great as their own record. Uh, we weren't able to come up with it. Well, Ray Brinson of Tampa, Florida comes up with a piece of information by telegram that we've just received here at the broadcasting booth in Comiskey Park, in Chicago. He informs us, and now this is according to Ray Brinson, and we're going to have to check it, but uh, we're not going to doubt his word because this is the best piece of authority we have right now. He says that the Yankees lost nine straight in 1945. The all-time club record is 13 in a row 40 years ago. Thirteen in a row, forty years ago. Boy, they've been playing some rough baseball, haven't they? That was about the time that Casey Stengel broke in, wasn't it? <laughs> Thought you were going to look over here and say that was about the time we saw our first ball game. I was about to hit you on the head with these binoculars. <laughs> yeah, hard baseball is a great game. It keeps records, and uh, we like to delve back in the records, look at them, and see what's been going on, and sort of compare what the boys did then with the type of equipment they had, compared to what the boys are doing today with the type of equipment that now prevails in the game. Talking about the game prevailing, it's about to start right now. Get back underway for the top of the eighth inning. And it's been almost an hour since the range came down and stopped it at the end of seven with the White Sox leading 13-3. to three. Well, I, I thought you did a lot of Chinon uh, and John in the seventh inning when the White Sox scored seven times, but I'm going to tell you something. Frankly, uh, a few thousand chosen and <laughs> shows from way to the out since that last half of that seventh inning... Uh, Went in the book. The last half of the six inning went in the book. And, uh, well, if we have any more uh, words left, we're carrying right on here to top the eighth inning. Usual game of the day, Comiskey Park in Chicago. Let's go that uh, six o'clock plane, Art. We'll have to go without helpers tonight. Yeah, I think if it had been for that uh, big, big six inning, out, you might have been on that plane. This game might have been over. Could have been, Art, but it rattled right along and took up a considerable amount of time. Now let's see how much time either two innings of this remaining ball game will take up, or perhaps an inning and a half. In the top base inning, the first man up for the St. Louis Browns will be Don Linhart. He's had one base hit in three tries, knocked one back to the middle in the third inning. Lenhart, a 284 hitter at game time, is standing in. And Harry George, the lead pitcher of the Chicago White Sox, trying to save this game for Charles Rogerman and the White Sox. And it seems as though he's about to do it with a 13-3 ball game cooking. A 10-run lead. He delivers to right-hand hitting Don Lenhart a curveball over a ball strike one. So we've gotten this one back underway just for the fun of it, aren't we? You check how many minutes uh, this ball is held up by rain. Next pitch is swung on. There's a line drive hit into the left field. It's in there for a base hit. And Don Lenhart opens the eighth inning for the Browns with a line drive single to left. off that's hit number one, hit number eight all told for the Browns. 21 base hits we've had here this afternoon, and they have produced 13 runs. George getting ready now to pitch to Clint Courtney, left-hand hitting catcher. Clint drove a single into right field back in the sixth inning. His only base hit and three times up. Little Bulldog standing in. Wears glasses. Leading off at first base and not taking too big a lead is Don Lenhart, slippery going under feet. So we're ready now for the pitch on court. In it comes, swings on it, and fouls it off. All right, strike one on him. How many minutes, Hart, was it held up? Exactly 55 minutes, Well, About that 55 minutes held up here in Chicago. Now we're ready for the next pitch on court. Count is no balls in one strike. Harry George, Texas runner, Len over over first base. Delivers the plate. Six high and outside. God is one ball and one strike. Del Courtney wiggles down into position there to play. Gets ready. In comes the 1-1 delivery. Fast ball and low and outside for ball two. We've lost a considerable amount of the wind that was blowing here at Chicago, up until uh, the rain starts swerving in. So perhaps the blow is entirely over. Here's the two one delivery now in Clint Courtney. So it's cut loose. A half-feet curveball high off the shoulder for ball three. So Courtney's out in front now, three and one. Looks down at Marty Marion behind third to see what to do about this next one. Should it be in there? John Lenhart opened the three, belated eighth inning with a single. Wrapped in the left field, and he's on his first base. Now the 3 1 delivery. Doris cuts it loose. Fastball swung on. Hit back fast. Doris right out into center field for a base hit. Lenhart slipped as he got started and can move around only to second base. So Courtney gets the base hit here behind one rifled by Lenhart. And the Browns have picked up two of. So here in the beginning of the eighth inning. So coming up to the plate now is Jim Dyke, who got a bunch of single back in the sixth inning. His only base hit three times up. All right-hand hitter. Runners at first and second now for the Browns as they're trying to put something up and get back into this ball game. They're ten runs behind as the White Sox lead them thirteen to three. Dorish checks his runners at both stations, looks down at Dyke, delivers him a fastball that is over for called strike one. Fired right through at the knee. Cut out for the Browns, top of the eighth inning two base runners. Harry Dorish in relief for the White Sox. Little bow, tested right-hander, checks his runner, second pose, a side-on curveball. Ball is over the fifth on the inside corner to right-hand hitter for call strike two. On the count on Jimmy Dyke is no balls and two strikes. Dyke will be followed by Young, and if anyone else is needed, up Bill Hunter. George gets ready. Looks down, takes his time from Sherman Lawler, where back goes the fastball, it's flung on, hit down to shortstop, up with it as Over rather right, Stevens. fires back to Nelly Fox, a second for the fourth out. The throw on the first is not in time. Those so back is on at first base, on the fourth out of Courtney's second. Brown short second. Running on the ground out, Lenhardt moves into third. Over the White Sox again for you, because it's not the same ball club that started. Harry Joyce relieved Rogovan, he's on the mound. Sherman Waller relieved Wolf behind the plate, so he's catches catcher. At first, and Ferris play. playing, Nelson Fox is at second. Freddie Marsh started the ball game at shortstop for the White Sox, but Junior Stevens is in there now, and the third baseman is Bob Elliott. But also in left, Rivera in center, and in right is Sam Neely. Joyce now to pitch to left-hand hitting Bob Young, who has two base hits in two official tries. Tries to strike at him at the knees and he gets it right in there as Young watches it trail by. Here's the 0 1 delivery now on Young leading over the plate. Starts to go for an inside curveball, changes his mind, and takes the pitch for ball one. One ball and one strike. One out, two on here in the top of the eighth inning as the Browns are trying to pick up a couple more runs. They're being led 13-3 by the Chicago White Ducks who are trying to pick up ground on the defeated New York Yankees who lost their ninth straight ball game this afternoon with Parnell and the Red Sox shutting them out. Four to nothing. George ready. going to lose fastball. Swung on. It's right back past the mound into center field for a base hit. So Young, cracks one back through the middle, with Lenhart coming in to score the fourth. St. Louis Brown's run. That is hit number three, run number one, off story. And on the play, Jimmy Dyke moves down to second to hold on. So two runs batted in here this afternoon by second baseman Young. Now a 13-4 ball game in favor of the White Sox. Coming up to the plate now is Hunter. Down in the bullpen, we have uh, Sandy Conquedra warming up for Chicago, and Luke Kretlow in the bullpen for the St. Louis Browns. Luke Kretlow for Mr. Chicago White Sox pitcher. Deutsch ready to face Bill Hunter now, the judge star, who swings on the first pitch and hits the high foul ball back to the screen. Four strike one. Runners at first and second, one out for the Browns. They've scored one time here in the eighth inning. Thirteen to four in favor of the White Sox. Mutuals game of the day from Comiskey Park in Chicago. Ball game held up 55 minutes because of rain, and we've just gotten back to the top half of the finish. Harry Doyle is ready now. Delivers a one. It swung on. There's a high fly ball hung out into the left center field. Jim Rivera goes over, gets under it, makes the catch, and the runners hold on. So we have out number two. And coming up to the plate now should be Mike Fleska, unless we have a pinch hitter. And it looks as though we're going to have a pinch hitter. Mike Fleska is not going to hit. Hitting left-handed is Hank Edwards, batting for Bobo Holliman. Fleska, I met Is Hank
1: Edwards batting for him.
0: Ready for the first pitch now, down to Edwards. And it drives. A pass ball over for called strike one. Hank Edwards batting
1: left-handed.
0: In comes the pitch, swung on. There's a hard hit ground ball down to Nelly Fox in second. Down in the mud puddle, he goes on one knee, picks it up, fires to first base, and that's all for the Browns. Edwards batting here in the 8th inning, Browns out from Nelson Fox, the of Spain. So in the 8th inning, one run for the Browns on three bases hits. There were no errors and two men were left off. So the score at the end of the first half of the 8th inning, the St. Louis Browns have four and the Chicago White Sox 13. and we're going to have a new picture now for the St. Louis Brown. It'll be Lou coming He's coming on. St. Brownies. We have Luke Cepko, a right-hander, and we have a new catcher for the St. Louis Browns. Also, Martin has come on to do the catching for uh, St. Louis. He'll take the place of Courtney and probably go into the batting order in his place. Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N. Martin catching for the Browns in the eighth inning. Starting ready to go with Luke Kretlow on the mound for the St. Louis
1: Browns.
0: He's the six pitcher to be used by Marty Marion, his afternoon. Babe Martin behind the plate. He's the new St. Louis catcher, Babe Martin. George so Martin behind the plate, Luke Kretlow, former White Sox right-hander on the mound off the Browns. As far as the record is concerned, let's quickly look up and see uh, how he's posted as far as uh, St. Louis is concerned. As far as St. Louis is concerned, he has no record with them. getting set and ready to go here in the last half of the eighth inning. The first lineup will be Paul Elliott. He'll be followed by Jim Rivera and then by Sam Mealy. 13-4. let count the ball game in favor of the Chicago White shots. They have 13 runs on 13 base hits. No errors and St. Louis 4 runs on 10 hits. They've committed no errors. Lou Kretlow makes the first pitch, and Elliot After hits a high foul ball off to the right of the plate, going back into the stands out of play. No balls, one strike, on Bob
1: Elliot.
0: Last half, inning, number eight, to miss the in Chicago. Elliot has had one base hit, and four times up. He's got a double to right field back in the sixth inning. A double produced two runs. Kretlow works the curveball, Elliot snaps his head back to makes the curve under the chin for ball one. One ball and one strike. Elliott left put forward to the plate. Overly close back, feet wide spread apart. Cretlow, scatter on the right hand, delivers. There's a ball hit to short. Up with it is the shortstop. Fires to the receivers at first base. And that is all for Elliott. Hunter to receivers. One away last half of the eighth inning, and Jim Rivera, who had one triple today, then was robbed of the triple in the third inning on the field play, which he failed to touch first base. Called out. Jim heading left-handed. Ready for the first pitch to Rivera Fred Lowe, his former teammate. Motion, delivers, big curve ball, snapped off on outside. One ball and no strike. Immediately following the broadcast of this ball game from Comiskey Park, we'll have a complete rundown of everything on the scoreboard. All the and figures. Red ball a fast curve, then off the pitch, swung on and passed in by Rivera. Airplanes today going over this park now so low that it uh, almost reached up and touches them. takes Texas sign from Dave Martin. Relief really catch for the Browns and comes the pitcher Rivera reaches for an outside fastball and fouls it up into the second tier off the third base line. One ball and two strikes down on Justin Jim Rivera. sir. baseball has been taking a peculiar turn here in the majors in the last about a week and a half. The Yankees in the slide, Milwaukee having fled eight games. So the complexion of the picture can change. There's a let-up fastball. Swung on by Rivera up down the left-field line, and it is just outside foul into the corner. 352 feet away from home plate. When that ball dropped in the corner, Rivera was already pulling up a second. How fast he is. So that's a long last foul strike, and Rivera has to come back and do it all over again. That's a one ball to strike. One out, last half of the eighth inning. Rivera is up at the plate with nobody on. So 13 to 4. Kretlow starting his motion. Delivers 1-2. Rivera takes. No one outside for ball two. Up playing just about straight away for Rivera. He's up there in an over close stance. Kretlow up. Rivera's back. Delivers a curve. Ball 2-2 two, two, on the inside off the hips. Ball three. Three balls and two strikes. Low settles down, takes the sign. Rivera waits. Three two count on him. In comes the three-two pitch. Swung on a fastball, fouled right back into the screen. Three balls and two strikes on Rivera. Two now. Back bar swung on by Revere and fouled right back to the left of our broadcasting booth. Scott stays right on on Kim at 3-2. Littlefield worked two in the third, Max Lanier worked two. George worked two-thirds of an inning, one one-third of an inning. and one and two-thirds, and Petlow is on now. The three-two delivery. In a drive. A let up pitch and under the knees for ball four. So Rivera walks with one down here in the ninth in inning. And off Fidler. That's the first base on balls. Six bases on balls have been picked up with the white shot. The hitter coming up to the plate now is Sam Mealy, a right-hand batter. Triple back in the sixth inning. One hit in, four at bat, he came up twice in the sixth inning, dribbled and grounded out. The oddity of the sixth inning was that Rivera was two of the three outs in that inning. Pretlow ready to pitch now to Sam Mealy, fires the fastball at him, near and outside for ball one. Receivers holding the inside corner at first base on Jim Rivera. Tradlow looks back over his left shoulder and checks the there. Then delivers a fast curveball at the knees to melee Good for calls strike one. One ball and one strike. Are working out immediately on the 1 1 count. So here steps off first. In comes the pitch. A nice curveball, but it's under to the knees. Count is 2 and 1. Ball game has slowed down considerably, Mr. Gleason. Yes, it has. I'm going to fool around here. We won't even be able to get that 8 o'clock play. <laughs> oh, me. Delivery is swung on by Mealy There's the line drive hit right to Young Who grabs it, flips it over the first base And Rivera is doubled off the Line drive to the Second baseman that throws the first base To get Rivera So the eighth inning now is history And here in the eighth inning For the White Sox No runs, no hits, no errors Nobody left off The score at the end of eight full innings to play now The White Sox, 13, and the Browns, 4. Well, you know there's something about a tall, frosted glass of Falstaff that always makes a friendly evening at your favorite tavern just a little bit more enjoyable. And that something is Falstaff's genuine premium quantity. Guaranteed right on its golden white premium label. Yes, sir. From the first clear glass bowl your smiling bartender pours for you, right down to your last satisfying taste. Ballstaff is brimful of true premium quality flavor and character that no other beer can equal. Sure, Ballstaff is always the choicest product of the brewer's heart. We're getting ready now for John top half the ninth inning. And it's the last call for the St. Louis Browns, a 13 to 4 ball game. I'm going over the chicken scratching on the scorecard, and see if I can get all the total scratch and figures put together, along with the other ball games that have I've been rolling in this afternoon, so we can have a comprehensive look at baseball for today, Right at the end of this ball game, so Mr. Gleason, how about you coming in and doing the top of the night, buddy, huh? Right, Al, we got the top of the batting order coming up for St. Louis Browns and Johnny Grove. He'll be followed by Dick Cocus and then Roy Steelers. The stockily right-hander, Harry Dorish, on the mound for the White Sox, swings into his windup, delivers a fastball that's inside for ball one. Dorish came on to relieve Saul Rosenman in the sixth inning after Saul had hit five and one-third inning. The right-hander delivers again, and it's outside, ball through. Two balls, no strikes, to count on Johnny Grove, leading off here for the St. Louis Browns, top of the ninth inning, as the White Sox lead the Brownies 13-4. The fifth is high, ball three. Johnny Grove is up for his He's 0 for 4. Dory's ready. The pitch is in there for a call strike. Three balls, one strike. The count on Johnny Grove leading off here in the top of the ninth inning. Dory delivers. It's swung on and foul tipped into the glove of Sherm Lawler. And it's a full count, three balls, two strikes. Well, should the White Sox win this from this afternoon, they'll gain a game on both the New York Yankees and the Cleveland
1: Indians. The pitch is swung on. There's a the ground ball hit out to the shortstop. Up with it
0: is Burns Stevens. The throw to things. is in time, and that's all for Johnny Grove here in the top of the ninth. Rose bounces out to shortstop. Junior Stevens, the Ferris Bay. Well, the batter is Dick Kolkis. Dick lit off with a home run that blew into the right field seat in the first inning. And since that time, it's gone Hitler. So he's one for four. Left-handed batter stands squarely in the center of the left-handed batter's box. Takes a lot of pitch for five. all one. George gives you a good assortment. He's got a real fast breaking curve, a slow breaking curve, a good fastball, and he can slow up on you. Here's a fastball that's over for a call strike. 1-1. Immediately following the ball game, Al Helper will bring you all of the pertinent information on games played around the Major League this afternoon. Call strike two. Look at the fastball over the outside corner, letter high, one and two. One thing about Dory, he's always close to that plate. He doesn't give you anything too good to hit. Always working around those corners. Around comes the right arm, the one-two pitches. Gets away from Lawler, ball two. That ball skipped right off the end of Sherm Lawler's catching glove. It looks as though uh George might have caught him up. I think Lawler called for the curve and he threw him a fastball that sailed a little bit. One out, two two the count on Dick Cocus. On deck is Roy Sievers. Now Doris is ready. The 2-2 delivery is swung on. There's a high fly ball, the right center. Jim Rivera calling for it, has plenty of time, makes the test. Nick Colcott flies to Jim Rivera in right center, and with two men out the batter is Roy Stevers. Roy has gone hit with some four trips. And now Rivera moves to from right center field, where he caught that fly ball, over in the left center to play to pull a sidearm fastball is high inside. Ball one. The right half of the infield is completely covered with sawdust down the third and first base foul line, but the rest of the infield, which was covered during the rain spell, is in very good shape. George pitches. It's the call strike one. Severs, looked at the fastball, it was right over, 1-1. One, one. Here's your one, 1-1 one delivery to the right-handed batter, and Seavers swings, there's a line drive to right center, it's in there for the base hit, it might go for extra bases, Rivera chasing it down, and no, he takes no stand, Seavers barely held his first base wisely because the putting around first base is a little bit slippery, and at the moment with the brownies trailing by nine runs, all Siebers of course wanted to do was get on base. So it's a base hit for Roy Siebers, and it is hit number 11 for the St. Louis Brown. And here is Don Lenard, two for four. Big, tall, slender right-handed batter, swings and pops it up in the air, down the first baseline. line. over, getting under, it is Waller, and hits the bat. Durham Waller caught that ball, running at full speed towards the Johnny Dugout along the first base line, and it retires the side, and the ball game is over. For St. Louis here on the top of the ninth inning, there were no runs, one hit, no errors, and there was one man left on base. So the Chicago White Sox, after losing the opening game of the St. Louis Browns last night, bounced back here this afternoon and hung up a 13-4 victory. So the St. Louis Browns, after stopping the White Sox with a six-game winning streak, their pitching fell apart this afternoon here at Comiskey Park. And the Brownies walked off with a 13-4 victory. So right now, the ball game's over. Al Helper's on a hurry to catch a plane back to New York. So we're going to bring Al in with the final total. All right, Art, right, I don't think I can catch that plane in New York. So it's going to be a little bit too late. Well, right, let's see. The final totals are for Chicago, 13 runs, 13 hits, no errors, five men left on. Welcome been the winning pitchers, records five and nine. For the St. Louis Browns, four runs, 11 hits, no errors, nine men left on. The losing pitchers Littlefield, his record is now 3-7. Coltis, his fourth home run of the year in the first inning for the Browns with a base
1: 7.
0: Well, that's about all from, uh, Park as far as the play-by-play is concerned this afternoon. Our thanks to... Mel Persler, our engineer from WGN, who has ridden through uh, range ball and all with us here this afternoon. Of course, it was very good to be back with my old Buddy Art Cleason during another uh, ball game together after a layoff of a couple of years, and we hope we'll see art around the circuit a lot more. And uh, tomorrow afternoon, now uh, Dizzy Dean and Gene Kirby will be at uh, Everts Field bringing the ball game out of Everts Field, and we sincerely hope you'll be tuned in at that time. And now this is Al Helper. You must Park in Chicago saying in just sixty minutes, sixty seconds. I'll be back with the Camel scoreboard over most of these stations. The Ball Staff Brewing Corporation, St. Louis, Omaha, New Orleans, and San Jose brew is a premium quality Ball Staff beer and their distributors everywhere have joined in bringing you Milwaukee's Game of the Day.
1: Oh, yes, we glad you came. Hope that you've enjoyed every inning. Let's get together for tomorrow's game. It's all fun, no matter who's winning. Don't forget refreshment, here's the reason why It makes the pleasure double when you've got a good supply A false cat beer, the right to yesterday False cat beer is really unworthy Ooh, the golden mellow food <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the ace won't play with <laughs> once and once You'll sing out for more we got so far, so we got so so